and good morning, everyone, or good evening, or good afternoon, whatever the case may be. Welcome to another live edition of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn when we consider the unconsiderable here, or is it the inconsiderable? Anyway, as I've said before, what used to be confined to these hours is now kind of assaulting us 24-7, like drinking from a fire hose, as uh, my grandmother would have said. So um, we will proceed apace. Tonight's show is kind of like a continuation of last night's, and I will explain what I mean by that as we kind of go through the the morning. Uh, I will introduce our guests. We have several. And we might be joined by uh, some more dropping in from somewhere. Uh, we may know and we may not know. So let me kind of start at the top. Um, we are focused here at the other side of midnight on La Palma. And again, as I said last night, there's no need to panic because if something really bizarre happens, you'll have nine hours of warning if you are on the east coast of the United States. You'll have less warning if you're in Europe along the east coast or in Africa along the coast uh, you'll have more time if you're in the south american coasts or in the caribbean or in the gulf of mexico but that's the time it takes for a shock wave i.e a tsunami to transmit through the water from la palma to the um, eastern side of the united states traveling at the speed of sound very long wavelength uh, wave and remember water is incompressible so it isn't the water that physically moves from La Palma to Atlantic City, it's the shock wave, it's the underwater sound, it's that that abrupt you know change of uh, density of pressure uh, occasioned by molecules smashing into other molecules and those smashing into others, et cetera, et cetera. The best analogy that I've seen for this is a guy setting up shots on a billiard table where you have a whole string of billiard balls and you you know, uh, aim the cue ball at the one on the end, and it's the other one on the other side that moves because the motion, the energy is transmitted through the balls that remain stationary, and it's the last one that moves. So that's the way sound waves move in air and underwater. The the actual uh, vibrations are transmitted elastically so that you don't have very much movement of the actual material It's the transmission of the wave in the medium, which is important. Anyway, it takes about nine hours if something bizarre happens in La Palma. And when I say something bizarre, what am I talking about? Well, many decades ago, there were a couple of bright geologists who published a paper. They looked at the fissure that was created in the island of La Palma back in 1949 during a major earthquake, where about half of the island is balanced by friction on the other half. And with enough of a force, enough of a kick, or with enough inflation of the ground caused by underground uh, gaseous pressures of the added energy from the magma moving up and heating what's above it, um, about half the island could uh, release its frictional sticking to the other half of the island and it could slide into the Atlantic Ocean, reaching a velocity, something like 500 billion tons of matter, of rock, of basalt, reaching the ocean with a velocity of something like 200 miles an hour. 
Think of it as the largest, most deadly cannonball dive into a pool possible. When that mass hits the ocean, according to the calculations, it could raise a wave 3,000 feet high, which would, of course, quickly dissipate, but it would stretch out into this long wavelength, and it would race across the um, uh, it would it would race across the Atlantic Ocean at something like 600, 500, and some miles per hour. And if you look at the simple you know plots, it takes about nine hours at that speed to cross the ocean from La Palma to the East Coast. So that's where you get the warning. Now, we've been talking um, here on the show for the last few days, beginning last Sunday when the eruptions of La Palma started after a 30-year hiatus. We've been talking about how all those along the East Coast of the U.S. or the coast of South America, the Caribbean, the Gulf of Mexico, Canada, Europe, Spain, Africa, moving around in this circle, can get warning. And the idea was that you would plug into the U.S. Geological Survey, which, of course, is monitoring earthquakes in real time with networks of seismometers all over the world, and there would be an alert on your phone. You could literally set it so that if something really big, like half the island let go and hit the Atlantic, you would know that, and you would know that you would start your clock. You'd have about between six and nine hours to grab your go bag and your kids and your cats and your dogs, get in the car and get out of Dodge <clears throat> and head to high ground. In the uh, eastern United States, that's heading west toward the Appalachian Mountains. Um, anyway, um, Keith Morgan, who is our uh, resident uh, uh, expert from former days with Ted Koppel and Nightline and is currently our IT expert and sound and audio guy. He went looking and a friend of his went looking for live links. Keith, what did you find about USGS alerts for earthquakes under La Palma this afternoon? Keith? Uh any data on any kind of seismic activity going on with the Palma and is wait, wait, wait. You mean you could not find any live links? Oh, I found there's uh video links. Um I think there's only one right now because the other one uh kind of disappeared. But the um in terms of seismic data where you would normally find it on the USGS, there's nothing. And there's a couple other places that usually have seismic data. And they're showing nothing right now. So I'm trying to find locations that uh, may have that seismic data uh, available. Hmm, that is very strange. Because obviously with all this public interest, particularly since in the worst case scenario, a major portion of the East Coast would be affected, you would think that the taxpayer-supported United States Geological Survey would have a live link so you could literally monitor 24/7, and it would, you know, alert on your phone when something really major happened. I mean, it's not like there aren't earthquakes going on under La Palma right now. Um, now, if we look at my items tonight in Radio with Pictures, first of all, that that first image, right when you click on the live links on Richard on your live links, and that takes you to my section. That first shot is from Ron Gerbron. He found it, and it's stunning. It's a close-up 
of the new fissure which has opened up on the south side of the uh, volcano <clears throat> and uh, uh, that's just a spectacular shot if you enlarge it click on it look at that I mean that is en- nature at its most amazing um, if you go back to radio with pictures number two is a news story this afternoon which basically said they've uh, technically opened the airport but of course nobody's flying in and out because there's too much uh, uh, stuff in the air particularly volcanic ash and we all know what volcanic ash does to modern jet engines so there are no flights even if the quote airport is technically open now item number three actually is technically number two if you look there that's the one you want to look at because that does have on the left hand side it has a radio it has a seismic plots you can see them there uh, they're very small you can actually make them bigger let me do that let me bigger there we are uh, there's tremor amplitudes at the at the top there's um, GPS measured deformation that's the the swelling and you want to you know take a look at those um, and then down below you can see from the Institute of Geographical Nacional which I guess is the um, uh, Spanish equivalent of the GPS. There is a, uh, a set of graphs there showing the seismic disturbances. Believe me, if the island lets go, it's going to be an extraordinary event, and it will ring every alarm. So it's not like you're going to miss it, provided someone is transmitting it. So that's the kind of curious thing. Why aren't they transmitting real-time seismic data from La Palma. Um, I'm not going to speculate because this is too important, but you know, factor that into your calculations when you're making plans for what to do in case something very uh, dramatic and untoward happens vis-a-vis the under, uh, underground activity. Uh, moving on. If, if a um, <laughs> volcano, which could indeed send something very major our way, uh, is not enough, Look at item number three. There's a hurricane in the Atlantic named Sam. I'm not sure whether it's, you know, like named after Samantha Carter in uh, uh, SG-1, but uh, it's named Sam. It's now a Cat 4. It's heading west. You can see the cone of uh, uncertainty there. It's in the south-south Atlantic. It's moving northwest. Um, Some models are saying it could turn out to sea meaning it would just kind of wind up along the coast. Bermuda might be having a problem, but it would safely uh, uh, not contact the U.S. mainland. Other models have it moving farther west, in which case we might have some problems with Florida and or the uh, South Atlantic coast. Again, keep an eye on that one if you're living along the East Coast. None of these things now can be taken for granted. Item number four, this was something that I mentioned, I think, at the top of the show last night. Uh, Before we got on the air, I learned last night that there had been a major train derailment, an Amtrak derailment in the wilds of Montana. The train, which was headed from Chicago to the state of Washington, called the Empire Builder, uh, came off the tracks. And no one is sure the NTSB is investigating They may not have definitive information for the next several months because these guys are very thorough. 
but it looks like at this point it might have been a, a switch problem. Uh, there's some indication of that. Unfortunately, at this at this time, three people died of the 141 passengers and 16 crew members uh, on board, and I think some others are in serious condition. Uh, you might want to, if you're interested, you know, check out uh, that video and then look for further live links. I mean, seeing those cars tilted and lying on their side is just it's just appalling and we haven't had major train derailments in the United States for decades because there is now a, a national system of electronic, uh, not only feedback, but also active, <clears throat> uh, you know, engineers take little hand cars with uh, ultrasonic detectors and magnetic detectors and they roll down the rail and they can tell if there's a problem with the steel and if there's a problem with switches and all that kind of thing. And so they do this on a routine basis. So it's going to be important to find out what went wrong here and why three people have died as a result. Part of it may be that Amtrak uses lines that, uh, uh, you know, other other um, uh, corporations like the Southern Pacific, et cetera, use, and those carry a lot of freight. And so there's tremendous wear and tear on the infrastructure, remember that term, infrastructure? I mean, we are so overdue for a national investment of major, major funding into infrastructure. And I'm going to insert a political statement here. For all those people, senators and congressmen who are saying, oh, we can't afford $3.5 trillion. Oh, my God, it'll kill us. It'll bank. Give me a break. What is not mentioned is that this proposed 3.5 trillion is over 10 years, which means it's only 350 million per year amortized against an income, a gross domestic product in that same period of time of something like 200 trillion. So give me a break. This extraordinary tragedy in Montana illustrates as nothing else except there have been a lot of else's should do that we need to invest again in the united states we haven't done major investments in infrastructure in well probably something like 50 years half a century it's time okay um the rest of my items are for the body of the show so let me do the following let me bring on our guests of this evening, starting with uh, Ron Gerbron. Ron, of course, is our resident generalist. He is also a member of the imaging team. Uh, if you have a peculiar question uh, to ask, Ron is the guy to ask because he knows an awful lot about an awful lot of things, and his bio is there uh, somewhere. I guess I uh, – oh, I know. I need to click on – on bios okay so i will do that and bingo there is ron's bio and it says he is a proudly uncredentialed polymath well we all know that ron are you with us welcome to the other side oh yes oh, excellent yes, i'm there excellent we okay. also have rogero uh with us uh callo rogero callo from britain who, although he does not have specific imaging tonight, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe you do, but he does have some very interesting opinions of what we were discussing last night. 
grading into tonight's topic, which is what if the unimaginable happens? I mean, last night, because Dr. Plata was very mainstream and was obviously following the NASA models and the SpaceX models and the Blue Origin models of expanding into the solar system and utilizing resources and all that, I did not want to, um, uh, shall we say, um, uh, you know, shake the boat. So I didn't introduce him to the idea that it's not a level playing field, that in fact, they're going to find things out there that are not on anybody's radar except ours. And so tonight is devoted to the what if side of the equation. What if, which we know is going to happen, what if as Musk expands to the moon, sending his first tourists in the starship in two or three years around the moon, what if equipped with binoculars and smartphones and Quest star telescopes and all kinds of high-tech devices for looking at the moon from a close orbit as they swing around. What if all those civilians suddenly start seeing all the ancient glass ruins on? Do you think that's going to do to public and governmental perception of the need to seize the high frontier of space before... Oh, let's say the Chinese, because, of course, ruins mean not, you know, ancient stuff made out of blocks, but in this case, an extraordinarily sophisticated high-tech civilization, which even if the stuff on the top is in ruins, the stuff buried underneath the surface, like I'm talking miles beneath the surface, should be in pristine condition, meaning that engineers and scientists from Earth of, of whatever nationality gets there first will have access to a treasure trove of extraordinary new science, new physics, new technology, new engineering, new machines, new capabilities. Uh, there's no way to put limits on the possibilities for accelerating the development of space infrastructure to feedback to support the 7 billion almost people here on planet Earth by reaping the rewards of what is waiting for us in the solar system. And, you know, looking back when when my friend Kraft Ericke, who wrote those two extraordinary books, The Extraterrestrial Imperative, meaning it's our mission, our kind of uh, manifest destiny to go out there and, and utilize what's out there, And the other one, The Magnificent Heritage, I wonder, particularly in terms of that second title, whether Kraft Ericke, remember, heir apparent to the knowledge of the Germans, of Hitler, of the Abernabi, of, you know, the in crowd, um, if he didn't know more than he let on all those decades ago when we were having those really amazing conversations. Because to, to title a book, the Magnificent Heritage, A, it's got to be really cool, uh, a magnificent, and B, it's, it's got to be bequeathed to us. Well, all this material, all this science, all this engineering that will be found amid those ruins on the moon, on Mars, and God help us all over the rest of the solar system, are, there's nobody else here, we think. 
So it's ours by default, kind of like the, the rights of salvage on the high seas. <clears throat> if you find an ocean liner fully laden uh, with the latest and there's nobody on board, then it's yours. And it could be worth on the open market, you know, what, hundreds of millions of dollars. So what's out there in terms of the artificial information technology and heritage is by right of salvage going to be ours or really the property of those who find it first. And that brings up, of course, the Chinese, the Russians, the Indians. We are a planet which is fractured. We have something on this world called nation states. And what do you think will happen when nation states are forced to admit and in public that there are a stunning, stunning riches to be bequeathed to their societies, to their cultures, to their civilizations by simply sending human crewed spacecraft to the moon. Anyway, Ruggiero, welcome to the other side of midnight. I'm sure you have many interesting ideas about this. Morning, Richard. Uh, thank you. Um, I do actually. And um, that was, I think the whole moon issue was the reason why I, I got into this space stuff in the first place. Oh. When, uh, I started listening to your show, shows way back way back and it also ties into the whole that ancient Egypt hmm. issue which I think probably it's for another show to discuss um, but uh, I do have some items actually which I forwarded on to Kintia yeah, and, and, to and, 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 and hang on Kintia is still working on them so let me no, move on they are up they're up well but I don't okay. want to bring I don't for sure I don't want you to talk about details yet because I want to uh, introduce hello. John so just be patient okay, okay? We have Jonathan Walnack with us tonight. That was kind of like a like a wild card. John uh, really loved last night's show, and I said, "Well, you want to be part of tonight's show because, you know, all of our guests have very strong opinions, and they come from different backgrounds and different perspectives." John, of course, is heavily involved in the idea of reincarnation, and that's obviously something that I'm intrigued with uh, for several different reasons. He is a major author. He writes like hell. I mean, he really knows how to write. He is an author. First class, uh, one of our colleagues uh, got a copy of his latest book and was enthralled. Anyway, he's also a licensed uh, electronics technician. Um, he has been, he's worked with IT for many, many years, uh, providing tech services in the Boston area in Cambridge to corporations and all those august higher uh, educational facilities there. And today he is the executive producer at Mindworld Entertainment of a new TV series, The OBE Show, Metaphysics and More, which is airing on Amazon Prime. John, welcome back to The Other Side of Midnight. Thank you for having me, Richard. Well, as my grandmother used to say, you're welcome for being had. Anyway, um, all three of you, let me, let me, uh, let me, let me start out in, in reverse order. We're going to get to specifics because Ron has got some really amazingly cool stuff. But let me start with the guys who were not part of last night's show and ask you basically big picture. What do you think of this entire concept? What do you think of the addition of 
ET ruins to the conversation of last night? And where do you think and at what rate are we going with all of this? Who wants to start? Oh, they're also shy. <laughs> I'll jump in. Richard. And I know they're not shy. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, John. Well, it's great to see that uh, <clears throat> in our current lifetime, it's been a struggle to get to the point we are at. I mean, I remember like it was yesterday when you were on CNN pointing out the face on Mars. Oh, my God. Do you realize that that one appearance completely kiboshed my ever after appearances on they were so mad they were so angry they were furious that i did that because <clears throat> what i did for those that didn't see it is you know the, I, I was in new, in new jersey so i could go across to the cnn bureau in new york southern manhattan which i did and i have this very large uh, uh, uh portfolio that artists use to carry a big leather case with handles black leather and you can put big pictures to protect them when you're carrying them around, which I'd had. And I had an enlargement of the high sun angle that Mark Carlotto had developed of the 1976 image, the second image, the high sun angle image of the face on Mars. And during the show, I literally simply took it out from the case next to my feet when I'm sitting there in the studio. I put it up on the little desk that I was sitting behind and I started pointing out things, and oh my God, talk about putting the cat among the pigeons. Indeed. And you remember and that? I do remember that. I think that was 1995, maybe? 96. 96. I think that's on my uh, Morgan Curve YouTube channel. You mean the whole the whole program? Uh, the section that they interviewed you oh on. Oh, my God. I haven't seen that in decades. Have you got the one with Larry King? No, I don't have ah. that one. Yeah, remember that night. Anyway, sorry, John. You know, I'm going down memory lane here. Very dangerous. <laughs> well, I'm just so happy to see that, um, you know, I've, I've talked about this rock tech uh, a lot over the years and I mean this is all going to come out there's no stopping it now I mean with Elon and these folks getting involved the elitist who want to keep us on this planet keep us imprisoned here they're they're screwed because this is all going to happen I mean they're trying to end the US literally before we get to Mars because they don't want us there. And well, because they much... think they own Mars. They think they are from Mars. They think they're the only ones that deserve all this because they are the inheritors by birth, by DNA, by bloodline, whatever you want to call it, of the, of the cool stuff, and we don't count. And the funny thing is, the ironic thing is that these same folks are – Martians. I think of you and me and Keith and all of us folks listening. We were on Mars back in the day, and that's why we're so fascinated and drawn mm. to it. I, and I, don't, I don't know whether I buy that model. <laughs> and we've got three hours to argue about this. I'll tell you what, we're coming uh, uh, up or down, depending upon your definition, to a, a break here at the bottom of the hour. Um, why don't we pick this up on the other side? 
in the meantime, I thought this was kind of appropriate. This is a theme from one of my favorite TV shows, which certainly tonight applies to the land of enchantment. And what we're talking about, it is the wild, wild west. Will it be replicated upstairs on the wild high frontier? You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. One of the ways that this organized crime system has been able to monopolize the media and has been able to uh, control the government and control perception on a wide scale is because it's the banks at the core And they've been given the privilege of creating money out of thin air using a technique called fractional reserve banking. Where the central banks backstop the money center banks to create money out of thin air. So when you go to get a loan, whether it's a mortgage or a car loan, that's not deposited money that they're loaning you. Uh, They just credit your account with some dollar credits, and you're off to the races. And then you spend the rest of your life paying interest on a mortgage that somebody created out of thin air. And that's the reason why the bank is the largest building in every city on the planet. Because they're making outrageous profits by getting to loan money at interest that they created out of thin air. This is Etienne de la Boissy Squared, the author of Government's Biggest Scam in History, Exposed. And some of my favorite conversations are the ones that I have on the other side of the news. With Timothy, Netta, and Kintia. 
thank you for doing what you do and providing the service that you provide. on this Sunday night, September 26, 2021. Well, we've gotten off to a very interesting start because John has put his finger on the problem. For 40-plus years, ever since I got seriously interested after DePetro and Molinar into the mystery of the face on Mars, I mean, the thing that really shocked me, and maybe it shouldn't have, maybe I was naive, But it wasn't the fact that NASA didn't know this stuff is real and it's there. It's the fact that the higher-ups, the intelligentsia, the managers, the senior management of NASA, they know it's real and they've been foisting a cover-up on us for the last 50-plus years. So, Ruggiero, what are your thoughts on this rather controversial idea that we've been snookered for longer than some of us have been alive? Where do I start? Um, I, do you remember uh, quite a while, well, many years ago, Richard, or I seem to remember, you were on perhaps Jeremy Paxman's show? Oh, good grief. What is it? Is, is tonight, this is your life or something? <laughs> It's an important discussion because, you know, you open, you open some doors that perhaps people don't really want to knock on. Um, but, you know, your, your phrase that you always use is like science is nothing without investigation. Is that right? Or That's one of them. Yes, yes. So, so, fair enough, some people would have said, oh, you know, what are these people looking at? You know, it's just light in the shadow. But they didn't have Keith Lee in his pans back then, did they? So... When you look at the work that Keith's done, I, I've investigated some, some of you can clear. So, you know, for all, for all those inquiring minds out there, we still need to look look further. You know, there's there's still work to be done. And with the wealth of uh, over, overwhelming evidence that perhaps there's something else still going on, um, you know, that book needs to be uh, be reopened. That's That's my starting statement on it. Richard, and then uh, when you go into my 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 links, um, I've got more stuff which which leads into the conversation for later. I think I'll let you start. Yeah, let me let me go to Ron. Uh, Ron, you were you were listening to last night, and you were participant at the end during the <clears throat> discussion with uh, Doug Laplata. I keep thinking of Doug in terms of the river in you know South America. Doug Plata. Um, what are your big picture thoughts? Are we on the verge of finally finding out? I, it's hard to say that because it's come up so many times. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm venerable enough to have re- remembered many moments when it seemed like we, it was about to happen, 
but it seems as imminent now as any other time. Well, wait, 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 wait. hang on, hang on, hang on. I, I think you may be overlooking the context. Remember, all these previous discussions have been based against the background of governmental official space programs. NASA, ESA, the Russians, the Japanese, the Chinese, whatever, government entities. What has changed and is about to change in a huge fashion and actually began the change uh, two weeks ago on a Wednesday, civilians, people who don't sign NDAs, people who are not tied to military you know, requirements or, or um, uh, you know, lifetime uh, pensions and people who are just part of private sector or just ordinary citizens who with eyes, balls and binoculars and smartphones I mean, how are you going to keep them quiet unless you censor the links, live social media links? And the more that happens, the more a whole bunch of other people are going to go, why aren't we seeing real live images, given that we can you know, send images from everywhere, including the, the apex of an erupting volcano on the other side of the planet? Well, we do have... You know, there are improvements in things. I mean, I'm continually impressed, uh, and I hope the guys over there are listening to this. I'm continually impressed by the actually increasing quality of the pictures coming out of the Perseverance mission and the fact that they put the bloody stuff up within hours. I mean, to me, you, you know, this is one of the coolest things. Within hours, we're seeing finished pictures coming back from Mars. You know, not within a few days or mm. something, which everybody was relatively comfortable with. But, I mean, they're coming up, you know, almost too fast to mess with. I almost said another word. Well, uh, I, let, let, me, let me interrupt because, you know, you might, people might think, well, wait a minute. There's a real contradiction here, a paradox. If you guys are saying NASA is censoring all the good stuff, you know, ancient ruins on Mars, in Jezero, a dome over Jezero, ruins on the moon, all that. But you got all these pictures. How can you bitch and moan and say that they're censoring it when they're giving you all this data? And the resolution, well, the resolution of the paradox, from my perspective, and we'll hear yours momentarily, is they don't think it matters who knows. It's who of influence in the society knows. And as long as authority figures kept, keep saying, you guys are nuts, it doesn't matter what images there are of stunning ancient artifacts. Nobody will believe us. The culture is unperturbed, and they can post anything they want, and no one gives a damn because it isn't NASA or ESA or the Russians or the Indians or the Chinese saying they're real. Now, the break point is when you have a whole bunch of tourists who are flocking into space on you know, Musk rockets and zooming around the moon, looking down and going, Oh, my God, look at that. Oh, my – look. In other words, once you have someone who's willing to put voice to what the images are showing, that equation totally, totally changes. Ron? Well, I certainly don't disagree with that part, except do you have – does anyone out there have uh, some – solid uh, indication that none of those people actually are handed an NDA to sign? I don't know that. Well, wouldn't you think no, they, they would say something? I mean, hell, we know that Trump had his staff signing NDAs, and it turns out they're not worth the paper they were printed on. 
Well, that's often the case. And I mean, you know, people have made solid cases over the years that uh, even the ones that are, you know, were considered authorized and mainstream and within the government uh, are of limited value if somebody would stand up to them. But it's that same thing. If the authorities say, okay, this means something and, you know, you know what will happen, we will send over the Rottweilers to eat your family if you uh, (laughs) don't. Uh, if if you mess with this, it's not that difficult to intimidate people, especially about something that isn't in itself life threatening to them. You know what I mean? Just, you know, just, you know, of course, you're not going to talk about this. I mean, what a wonderful opportunity you have. You can take pictures, you know, and you can take those. I mean, anybody that thinks that we're going to crack all the walls of secrecy from some Instagram postings by the uh, members of one of those vol- one of those civilian crews. No, that's not going to do it. I but disagree. I totally, totally disagree. Because if it doesn't happen well, that way, take a picture of? Hank, ruins on the moon. They're going to go into an orbit like 60 miles up with modern cameras, you know, CCDs. Oh, yeah. They will see things that the, the Hasselblads, you know, film or television, Viticons could never imagine. And I can actually show you uh, an example later on in the morning when we get to some of my images. I found something so amazing in my own archive that I didn't even know I had. Anyway, let, let's go back to John. John, what do you think? Are you an optimist or a pessimist that we're really on the knife edge, finally, of disclosure with a capital D? I'm in the middle and I'm... <laughs> how, is one, how is one in the middle of a binary question? Either there is release of information or there isn't. It's like being half pregnant. You can't be half pregnant. You can't half disclose this. Once anything is disclosed, all of it is disclosed. Well, I think to overcome the inertia of this this cover-up that's been going on for decades, you have to reach a certain threshold. And wait, I wait, think, wait. You mean like a critical mass of people? Well, I think Elon Musk is that critical mass. He has started this, and... Like I said before, there's, there's no stopping it now. How are you going to stop him from going to Mars? He's going. Well, hang on. It's interesting you bring that up because someone is trying to stop him. It's called the FAA. Under federal regulations prescinding from the Nixon administration and the environmental acts of the 1970s, before he can launch the super heavy and starship into even low Earth orbit, He has to go and file an extraordinarily complicated and detailed environmental impact statement. And a draft of that statement, which is submitted to the uh, federal government per the law, was filed, I think, this weekend. I think it's online. And I had a link and I lost it. I was going to put it in my news items tonight. It turns out that a process which should have taken two or three months and was begun back in 2020 is now 14 or 15 months and there's still no end in sight. And the negative people, the the pessimists are saying that given all the hoops that the government is forcing him to jump through, it could be until 2022, even if he gets permission for launch, the big super launch, uh, until he can make that first launch. So they're trying to bureaucratically slow him down. Um, I use the analogy of being bitten to death by ducks. So the bureaucracy, if it's being 
orchestrated. And of course, the bureaucrats have no idea what they're forestalling. They're just given orders, you know, slow this thing down, find every excuse, that kind of thing. They don't know why. The bureaucracy is like a huge ocean liner. I think it was President Obama who compared the United States to a huge ocean liner. And instantly I thought, <clears throat> Titanic. Anyway, um, turning her or steering her takes a long time. So, yes, I think they're trying to slow this down. Now, my, my suspicion is it has to do with rituals, with ritual numbers. You know, the make no wine before it's time model, that they, they're not trying to foreclose this closure. They just want it to happen on their paren ritual, closed paren timetable. What do you think? Hmm, that's a possibility. I... I don't have an opinion one way or the other. Okay. Ruggiero, what do you think? I, I mean, you're far afield. You're like an alien looking at this from the planet Mars or from the Green Isle of, of England. You know, are you, are you up on enough American politics to, to know whether um, uh, Musk can be stifled in the crib? A few bits. Um, personally, I don't think it's time yet. I think um, they're still testing things if, if that's what's going on. No, wait, when you say it's not time, you mean time for disclosure or time for the technology to be developed to put ordinary folks out there to see, to report, to take pictures? No, I think the technology is probably getting there. I think with the disclosure, I don't think um, a lot of the planet's ready yet if there's stuff like that. However, I put something onto our thread that um, I saw like last week in The Guardian. They posted online an article and they said, is it time we opened up the UFO question again? I know that's a different subject to what we're talking about tonight. Mm, Well, it's related. Remember, Mm. there's a whole bunch of people that, you know, for for decades have said, oh, Hoagland does UFOs. No, I'm doing extraterrestrial archaeology. But because people are not that sophisticated, they just lump it, particularly those that want to, under the uh, umbrella of UFOs. Uh, I support you on that, you know, that's what we're all doing on this research level. Um, you know, the, the UFO thing is not necessarily a question I don't want to get into that much tonight myself. But um, I think with regards to the disclosure, when when humanity is a, is a bit more ready, you know, we're, we're in big conflict on this planet of the very educated people and those who are less so, they're a little bit, I'm not going to be too condescending, but still in the Stone Age with their thinking. And we, we have, you know, by, by opening up these doors, we have quite a, a challenge to um, overcome by, by releasing this data. It needs to come out, but uh, it's going to be a struggle bringing it to the people, I think. And that's why it's up to the, the mainstream media to, to start to, you know, push the boundaries. And it seems like The Guardian have, uh, have opened that up a little bit. Hmm. Uh, another thing, one more thing, Richard, is what are the Vatican saying? Yeah, I haven't been following what they've been doing, but they're always quite interesting with their posts. What, what, what are they doing on this subject? I don't. I, I don't. I think we dropped uh, Skype there for a minute. What? Oh, what? Go on. Um, I, I mentioned also the Vatican. I'm, I'm still they? not hearing what you're saying. Uh, you say the, the Vatican. Vatican. Oh, the Vatican. No, see, I missed that totally. Uh, well, remember, the Vatican started out many years ago with various heads of the Vatican Observatory saying very peculiar things like, yes, we should baptize aliens. And having been a Catholic, I know that you 
cannot baptize someone who isn't part of the human family, which means in their view, they quote ETs, the aliens are really cousins and brothers and sisters. And of course you can baptize them because they're part of the human condition, part of the human genome. So that right there was a huge Emily Dickinson moment uh, where they were not saying they don't exist. They were saying that if we ever meet them, yes, we will baptize them, which I thought was an extraordinary step forward, setting the ground for ultimately admitting what's, what's going on. Wasn't the Vatican the place where they had that Christmas display with the robots? Yes. <laughs> I forget who brought that to uh, our attention. That's pretty far out. That's pretty far up from the human family. I don't know. I Politicians, uh, whether they're wearing uh, brocade robes or um, suits, are very good at helping people to squabble. And that's a noise factor. And I think that's what's involved here. You know, we should not worry about them so much. I mean, this is this disclosure is not up to them, not at this point, because you're right about Musk and company. When people that are going up with Musk are taking pictures, then it is over in a certain sense because they can't control that. And if they try to, it will become incredibly obvious that somebody is censoring. This first flight, that yeah, was exactly. not, this first flight was not under Musk technical control and I meant to kind of get into it with Doug last night and we were moving in other directions so I didn't want to kind of sidetrack us but to me the weirdness of the four civilians in earth orbit for three days in their own spacecraft with their own cupola with their own extraordinary views and wanting to raise money for St. Jude's is they did everything wrong everything wrong and for must to be part of that you know, to spacecraft, his rockets, for him to sign a contract that let uh, Isaacman, I guess, control it was, was nuts because it was done totally, totally wrong. And it disappeared. It left the launch pad. You watched it go into space. And then it was like it disappeared in the onslaught of all the other news that were, you know, inundated with, like drinking again from fire hose. And it, it only reappeared when they came back safely and then it disappeared and there has been no follow-up. There's been no, no other follow-up stories. It's now behind a paywall at Netflix. They're producing, I understand, another segment of their documentary on the 30th of September. But in terms of a modern era, modern you know, uh, information consumers, out of sight, really out of mind. So they effectively censored whoever did it for whatever reason – they really jazz and excitement and oh my god look at this of the first civilians in orbit and it fell like a little tiny pebble in the vast tsunami from La Palma in the middle of the Atlantic it was very elegantly done but I frankly think it was very sophisticated censorship now did it matter no why because they were only in earth orbit and there's nothing there to see unless a UFO pulls up alongside and the guys wave when you go around the moon, it's going to be Musk in charge of his own mission. Hell, he will probably be riding with them. I do not see the same, oh, we don't know what happened to them, operating at that level as operated on Inspiration4 because it's a whole different ball game when you're going to the moon. Thoughts? 
Well, that pretty well sums it up. Maybe we should get to the hard evidence instead of the. Um, well, I, there's, I think there's, that's there's the scenario. Well, there's one more piece of context. Let's let's find out what the other guys think. John. Yeah. Well, what I do is I take these litmus tests. Uh, I was at my dentist the other day. He's from Egypt. He's pushing seventy. Best dentist I ever had. Great guy. And I mentioned to him, you know, I know him pretty well at this point, and I, I wait before I approach certain <laughs> people. <laughs> so, I mentioned uh, <clears throat> about Mars okay. and that there's a civilization on there, and he just flat out said, there's nothing on Mars. Come on. Now, wait a minute. This is a real Egyptian from Egypt? Yes. With those big pointy things in the desert right outside Cairo? That guy? That guy. And he thinks there's nothing on Mars. There's now, when you said civilization, did you make it clear we're not talking current Los Angeles on Mars. We're talking ancient ruins like ancient pyramids in Egypt. I did. I mentioned ancient ruins on Mars. And he and said there's uh, nothing there. Why? Did he tell you why? No. Just oh, that, darn. Uh, you shake your head and they look at you funny. And Well, you need to hold it. You need to ask the next question. Okay, why don't you believe this could be real? Well, I'm kind of waiting on that part. I have another uh, – next month I have an appointment, so we'll see. But same thing. I was at uh, – I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask him or point out things to him while he's mucking around in your, in your mouth. <laughs> That's right. That, that could be dangerous, yes. Yeah. But I would take the same yeah. test at Harvard at the Graduate School of Education. It's all these teachers there. Right. And I would say it might be about uh, one example – I look up and I'm outside, happy and way, and I look up, beautiful sunny day, and I say, look at those chemtrails. And, you know, there's a tic-tac-toe in the sky. And this couple of students I'm talking to would look up and go, those are contrails. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. And I might mention Mars to somebody, and they go, eh. So it's kind of like, the students have been dumbed down. They don't want to think outside the box. There's nothing on Mars or the moon. And, but there are a handful, a few, that I would say something to. They go, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Richard Hoagland, yeah. Mm, yep. And they're, you know, they're awake and aware. Hmm. Well, it doesn't take 100%. It doesn't take 50. It only takes 2%. I mean, this is kind of like a rule of thumb. Um, Ruggiero, what, have you done any public surveys, any questioning people and he's trying to bring this up at cocktail parties or uh, wh wherever you hang out? I've done a little bit. Um, I've done and... a few protests. More on, you know my picture of the bone? Yes, yes. So I've randomly shown it to a few uh, medical type persons or artists. I go, oh, what do you think of this picture? Um, I've drawn and they're like, oh, right, that's really nice. Nice bone, blah, 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 blah. And I just tried to get their opinion on I've just held back. I haven't told them where it's actually from um, because they would just never believe me. If I, if so wait, let, let me get this straight. You show them the picture and your sketch first, but you don't tell them where it is, right? That's correct. And they say, oh, that's really nice. That's really cool. Good job, yep. Loke. <laughs> yep, yep. Nice, nice sketch. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I let other people... Uh, well, just show them the sketch. What about the... Sorry, Ruggiero, but what about the photographs? I'm a comparison of both. They go, where is it? I'm like, I'm not telling you. <laughs> and, then, and I just leave it there because it's not the context I feel I can 
I can do that. Wait, but you mean you don't tell them? Uh, But that's that's a missing piece of data. You need to see their reaction when you tell them because I guarantee you it will totally change. Totally. And how do I know that? Because because John John West, many years Mm -hmm. ago when he was working on the Sphinx, he uh, took a picture of the Sphinx and he had it on, on a, like, like a, a mounted board and he had two pieces of cardboard uh, that he could flip over the top. So all they could see was the banded strata. And he showed this one geologist at Peabody, very memorable story. And he said, what do you think caused that? And this geologist, eminent guy, I forget his name, says, oh, water, definitely water erosion. Then he flipped up the top so we could see it was the sinks, and he immediately threw him out of the office. He said, there can be no water erosion in Egypt. That's crazy, you know. Get out. So it's all about context. It's back to the old cliche, that which you cannot imagine, you cannot see. These people cannot imagine, and then the question is why, and that's a really interesting conundrum. Ron, you had something you wanted to say. Uh, I was just thinking that the, uh, yeah, the original nature of the Sphinx was, it was the Romans that decided that it was a full body Sphinx and started the first steps along that thing. It probably, most of it was not visible most of the time. It was a um, part of a complex that was not, that was made of perishable materials. I'm just saying this because after a lot of research and, and thought, this is what it comes out to. But in my opinion, if you will, it was a uh, complex that was meant to be seen from the river's side. And it was because uh, it's, it's an outcropping, you realize. It's not constructed out of little pieces. Right, right. It's, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's a carved there, – there, there's a, a yardang is a, is a technical geological term for it. It's a, it's a yardang, a I guess carved so. Yeah, so yardang. All, yeah, so, so all the sculpture is on the front, if you, if you think of that as the side with the face. Yeah. Uh, and so the, you know, any, any speculation on the way the rest of it looks is something else. And I'm not sure that it was ever underwatered or just used to be heavy rains there. And you can see hey, it in the pause. Ron, when you hear music. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Whoops. We're at the top of the hour. My guest this morning, Ron Gerbron, Rogero Kahlo, and Jonathan Womack. And Keith is with us, Keith Morgan, and also Kinthea is somewhere there in the background. And um, we may ask her to come on and talk about art on Mars, because there's a lot of art on Mars, starting with the infamous face. I mean, we are all poised, I do believe, on the edge of something extraordinary. And when we come back, and you guys will all remind me in case I forget, I'm going to tell you what Elon Musk work around to the FAA turns out to be, which tells me he's aware of the plan to slow him down and he's got a workaround. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We're discussing the impact on the second age of space of the discovery that there are ruins as far as the eye can see all over the solar system. And the news will not come out in a press release or an academic paper, but probably on Twitter from the moon. We shall return. 
theothersideofmidnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back, everyone. Sunday night, 26th of September. Good grief, 2021 is almost gone. And some may say, good riddance. However, there are interesting things up ahead. And I said before the break that I was going to unveil something very interesting. So let's get back to our guests, Ron Gerbron and Ruggiero Kahlo and Jonathan Womack. Um, Gentlemen, would you be surprised that it looks as if Elon Musk has plan B. He has purchased, wait for it, four abandoned oil drilling rigs, platforms in the Gulf of Mexico beyond the legal uh, coastline limit. In other words, these are platforms technically beyond the legal authority of the FAA, the federal government, or NASA. And he is... International waters? Yes. He is planning like pirate radio. If the bureaucracy tries to slow him down too much, he is planning literally to move his operations offshore from Boca Chico and launch eastward into low Earth orbit from international waters from an oil rig. A platform. And I find that a fascinating admission that he thinks maybe the bureaucracy will in fact be able to stop him from achieving his objectives so he has developed a legal and technical workaround. And that tells me he ultimately knows what the stakes really are. Don't everybody speak at once. (laughs) He must feel the pressure of the world on his shoulders. Well, particularly if he knows what's waiting. I mean, come on. Elon Musk is a genius. Um, We know that he frequents his Twitter feed and gets lots of feedback a lot of times. Uh, We know that he knows the folks like Branson and Bert Rutan, and that Bert Rutan has a mural uh, in his home down in Southern California uh, at Mojave, showing ancient pyramids all over Mars. And I've been trying to get him on this show for for years, and he won't come. Because it's like everybody underground knows the reality, but they just haven't been given permission to talk about it yet. And the question is, when will they be able to talk about it? And I'm betting it's with 
Musk's Starship flight with all those artists and tourists funded in part by his Japanese partner around the moon where all those social media feeds and all those images and all those excited, awed descriptions are going to come flooding back. And if they don't, everybody will ask, what the hell is going on? Uh, since it hasn't come up, I know what the major stumbling block is. It's the, the major thing that's helping them, although I don't think they... Uh, it's it's dumb luck for the bad guys. Uh, YouTube. You go to YouTube and you can find all these pictures and all these videos about um, uh, concocted stories about space aliens, and it dirties the water to such a uh, or muddies the water to such a degree that the politicians think this is enough uh, to cover them. I mean, it's it, there are very few flat credible sources of information for pi uh, yeah for which is going to make viewpoint. a big because it's different than making a youtube video on ancient alien ruins from your basement and showing in real time stunning video of ruins as you're orbiting the moon in musk's luxurious yeah. starship totally different signal well, we in the noise we know they wanted to do this uh, uh the dis- the other way what do you, the, when you, what you got, Ron, 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 you have to define your terms. They, who's they? Well, I, I believe that disclosure was meant to happen back in the 50s of the kind that we're talking about. You know, that there's always stuff held back. I mean, there's military reasons, there's, you know, political reasons. But uh, do you remember the uh, when Disneyland first opened? I think it was like the second year when they put put that in, but it was uh, they had a trip to the moon yeah, ride with the big TWA the rocket. Seats. Yeah, with the, and the uh, and the vibrating seats and every and the huge screens and everything. And one of the things you saw as the uh, as your trip went around the far side of the moon was they shot flares down at the surface mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, at one point, a couple of flares go down together, and they light up what is obviously, clearly, unarguably, a bunch of ruins. And how, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. And how do we know that? How is it unequivocal? How is it obvious? Uh, well, these were not photographs, you realize. Right, this right. Was this, was art artist, this was an artist. This is an artist. Exactly. But how do how do you know, as a as a as a viewer, looking at that? Scene, and I remember vividly. I've used it many times. How did you know instantly? Yeah. Oh my God, those are ruins. Geometry. Well, I'm I the geometry. Yeah, exactly. The ge- exactly. Remember, you have to abstract this stuff for people that don't speak our language. The geometry of what Disney put on national live ABC television in the 1950s with Warner von Braun's help, which is why I asked the question: Did Kraft Ericke? know a lot more back in the 70s when I knew him and we were going to bowling alleys and having interesting conversations than he let on. In other words, does everybody know this stuff but us because they've been deliberately keeping it secret and doing their little Emily Dickinson thing? Because the the, the, the dialogue in the film, when, when these ruins show up in the flare on the dark side of the moon, the far side, there's not one comment about obvious an obvious ancient base 
organized geometrically down there on the moon as they're flying around the uh, you know near side to the far side not one comment they simply left the image to spur itself and because people had no context they didn't know what they were looking at well richard it's the same thing here on earth with you know the video uh, so you had Scott Walter on a couple of months ago to talk about the Utah monolith. Mm-hmm. And people are looking at the monolith. They don't see the forest for the trees. <laughs> all, that, all that incredible sculpture. Oh, my God. Around on the, on the wall. I mean, Keith was the first separate guy to point this out. He says, there's, there's stuff there. And apparently, Keith, come on, come on. You, you, you showed this to your wife, right? Mr. Morgan. You may be tangled. Oh, well, we will come back to him when he realizes that. Anyway, um, yes, Ron, uh, John, it, it's, it's really, it's amazing how we get defocused from the signal. The noise keeps, in other words, when you can no longer censor this stuff so it never appears, the only way to keep most people from knowing what, why it's really, really amazingly important is throw enough spaghetti on the wall, throw enough noise, and it gets lost in the background. It gets lost in the noise. It's like all those millions of YouTube channels. Ah! Right. I was just going to say, I, you know, I did this video last week on, uh, in Utah, and it's called the Entrada Formation, and this balanced rock. When, as soon as I saw Keith's pictures, I was just like, Damn. And and then you you got all these tourists walking around blindly going, "Hey, look at that erosion." So Well, because geologists for as long as there've been national parks have said all this amazing stuff, balanced rocks, humanoid-looking things is all just erosion and remember, they're the experts and you're not. So people yeah, defer but, to experts. Yeah, they are conditioned, so that's why you have like my family members, well, my brother Tom's pretty pretty awake, but, <laughs> you know, they kind of shy away from me as soon as I start talking about Mars. Isn't that know, weird? <laughs> isn't that weird? I wonder, you know, I'm almost thinking it isn't just programming by media and the CIA and the information programs now. I'm beginning to wonder, and I've wondered for many, many years, whether this is something much deeper, almost at a genetic level, that most people are at the at the level of the DNA at the at the gene level have been warned off this like it's it's an avoidance zone it's where they can't go because they've been programmed at the gene level to not go there yeah and imagine what it's going to take for them to I mean it's going to take this epiphany it's going to be well, a planet-wide it will, it, it, it will take uh, musk and grimes floating in zero gravity with ruins behind them and looking fondly at their cabin and saying, we're going to be right back, but we have some things to do in zero gravity right now. Well, when you were talking last night, and Ron knows what I mean. (laughs) I wanted to say about, um, you were talking last night about some of the scenarios for getting to Mars and mine's a little different. I want to get to Mars, but I, thought maybe we'd set up on the moon first because I get psychic impressions when I look at the pictures and 
you know, when you say our magnificent legacy, it's just so heartbreaking to feel heritage, heritage, the heritage. And, um, and that so was Kraft Ericke's title, not mine. Oh, I thought that was yours. No, um, no, it was, look, Ericke was, a, was an artistic engineering genius. He was that incredible fusion of engineering. I mean, look how he solved the liquid hydrogen engine problem, which was insoluble in the 60s. And he simultaneously, and I found this out by spending a lot of time with him and his family, he was this incredible visionary dreaming guy who could put the two together. He was a complete human. And he could not find a market in the 70s for his genius in laying out what he said was the extraterrestrial imperative for our survival for the survival of humanity we had to go out there and i'm always wondered in hindsight was he implying all the stuff that i know now is out there in addition to the resources or was it in his mind part of a seamless whole that this would set us free and it would give us the resources to save the earth physically as well as psychologically and consciously Yes, and I'd like to see humanity embrace Mars as our most sacred object in our solar system because it is. And I'd like to see them, you know, get set up on the moon and send over all the best, our best archaeologists and historians and geologists and, you know, the scientists. Get them over. Let's get the place 3D mapped out above and below ground. Before you start bringing any tourists or anything like that. <laughs> well, you can quarantine. Oh, tourists. I think you should bring them all. To- yeah, you bring them all together. No, 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 no. The, the you can't you can't promote freedom by restricting access. Well, you just put out the right velvet ropes, and you have little gals that say, "And we're walking." <laughs> yes. Yeah. Hey, don't steal my line. <laughs> yeah, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to do uh, that. Shame, shame Speaking of. Speaking of uh, pictures, we have tonight Ron's ruins, and I'm not being hyperbolic when I say that because Ron found, to my mind, the most amazing set of, oh my God, they have to be ruins that I've seen so far from the Perseverance mission. So with that segue, Ron, we've got uh, about 15 minutes okay. to the bottom of the hour. Let's uh, start with your uh, you know, pictorial and describe what people have to do to see what you're going to talk about. Okay, welcome to Ron's Ruins. If everybody will go to the, uh, I, I didn't see the normal link on the. Um, you have your own page. Page, but maybe you have your own page. I know. Uh, may, there's got to be some way to get there. If, yeah, you just you click on there. fast links under under okay. the banner at the top of the guest page. It says Richard, Ron, Ruggiero, and John. Very very alliterative. Yeah. Click okay. on Ron. I know they're there. That takes you to Ron's Ruins. <laughs> yes. Okay, number one, and I hated to do it this way, but I wanted to give it a certain pace, like um, like a tour guide. Now, if we step up to our first exhibit, uh, you will see there are large, rather rectangular blocks of something that tumbled over, and in, ver- in the front, there's something that was undoubtedly a sculpture. And, oh, there are people working on this. Okay, I'll stop talking like a tour guide. But um, if you look at the at number two, it's a larger view of the same thing. And the large pointy and you can click on, on the right these. Edge, you can click on these and they get much bigger. Please do, because you need the detail. And you will notice in the um, 
the large pointy the large pointy thing that is uh, has a light side and a dark side. You know, it's pretty obvious. It's uh, the in the lower corner. There's a hole, and if you look in that hole, there's a little piece of rebar or something behind it. And this is something that pops up on Mars a lot. A number of the things that we see are not quite as solid as they appear to be. They're made to look solid. A lot of them are solid, but it's uh, it's like a wrapper. And it's whoa, 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 whoa. You, when, when you say they're made to look solid, are we talking like paper mache boulders on a Hollywood set? Uh, exactly. Except that's kind of you know that seems kind of ridiculous. But it's uh, yeah, you can. Uh, see evidence of that if you blow the thing way up and I mean way up until it's all pixelated and stuff and you'll say oh yeah that's like a that's like a uh, something that's like a mesh that's overlaid over a framework like a you know, a lot of the stuck yeah exactly they, yeah and a lot of whatever was there has eroded away so you can now see what's underneath but in any case it's all I mean the um, the large rectangular except for one round corner thing that's pretty obvious there has some sculpture on it uh on the facing side which is probably why they took the picture it's harder to tell their motives at the moment because percy is doing a lot of its own um prowling so this is a this is this is a percy image mass cam image right right yeah everything everything in the first batch of the images i put up they're all from perseverance okay. i resisted f except for one, a couple of contrasts oh i see I I, to... on the far left i see a blue face peeking out from behind something yes yes you do that that and, very that lighter blue thing over there which is an odd shape not a it uh, almost but, looks like a yeah. big pussycat Oh boy! Oh boy! There's some faces on the other ones. But well, anyway, and then and then that triangular thing at the top with the shadow. Mm-hmm. There appears to yeah. be another face ahead on that side. Yeah. How is it being lit? Yeah, that's. Um, so yeah, the uh, Martians were very prolific with their art. They put art on everything, and obviously yeah. my well, model. You pointed out. My model is that yeah, these are later intrusive cultures that were busily you know, decorating much more and more ancient stuff, even in their time. Right. Well, that's something that was common in our history, too. People, would, But if you go to now, if you go to number three, um, okay. this is uh, which is nearby. It's on the other. I could have given in much smaller scale, a great big, big panorama, stitching them together and show you where that it's across from it. But mm-hmm. looking across at it, there's this stuff with this. That's not erosion. You mean that, you mean the pebbly uh, surfaces? Yeah, yeah. You know, and you see how it varies from one to another. Um, the uh, and I love the fa- I love the fact that this one's almost an optical illusion that can make you dizzy because if you look at the largest <laughs> piece in the middle, you realize it's not attached to anything in the frame. It's hanging from off frame. It is part of it is part of something that's teetering over the edge of a crater, but it's or a craterlet. But it's it's just kind of hanging there, and then you go, well, what's up behind it? And this was because of our discussion about focus and the cameras. Right. I found this one, and I said, I said, well, look at the focusing zones. You know, it's in the front where it's the sharpest, and then in the middle where it's sharp, and then the contrast against the what another one of the mounds in the back. Uh, Although that object on a, the left hand of that mound looks very artificial, it looks almost like some kind of flying vehicle for the cockpit. Oh, this that's. 
It does. It does. They, almost like a dart. Mm-hmm. It, um, yep. But it, uh, it looks like it looks like yeah, U.S. Navy's well, Sea Dart, which was a very rakish-looking jet plane that was made to take off and land on water back in the 1950s. Or to continue with the Stargate analogies, it's, uh, it looks like the things that the Wraith were flying around in. Mm, okay, um, all right, I can go with that. Now, the, the big okay, flat well, thing, yeah. the big flat thing on the bottom left, mm-hmm. on the far left, it looks like yes. there's more carvings on the edges. Yes, yes, everything's carved on every available surface, and that was. And now, what other culture on Earth did the same thing? Except the Giza um, Plateau. Well, the Mayans did it, and the ancient Indian culture. The Egyptians. They covered everything with art. And that was what makes the pyramids on the plateau so striking, because there's no carving or art in them at all. Yeah, especially on the inside. On the outside, when they still had their facing stones... Um, and we do not have any direct tangibles nope. about this, nope. but it was mentioned by Strabo and a whole bunch of historians that uh, they were uh, the facing stones, which we know were there, you know, which were smooth blocks of um, marble or limestone. Uh, and they were they were all pried off to go build stuff in uh, in more recent times. And there's just I am seeing carvings on the edges of the things in sharp focus in the foreground. All over. Uh-huh. And I'm looking at something yeah, in the every... mid-ground. You know, you see the big big object at the top on the right with all the pebbly surface. And then below that, there's a much smaller object. And then below that, there's a bigger one that's very close to the camera. I'm looking so, at... Yeah, I told you. I'm looking at the intermediate one in the, between the two. And I swear I see a hippopotamus on the left, except it doesn't quite look like an earthly hippopotamus it looks like another version maybe Richard can you really say which, which block you're looking at I just did you enlarge his number three yeah I'm on that you see the big one at the top right which is in focus all the surface detail yeah and then there's that ridge beyond which is not in focus mm-hmm. then below that there's a smaller one and then below that, there's a bigger one close to the camera. It's the smaller one in between I'm looking at. And on the left-hand side, it looks like there's a hippopotamus, maybe two. Right. Zoom I believe that. this art was meant to be evocative. So it's uh, – anyway, uh, yeah, one, I tell you what. If you go to number four, at the bottom of it, uh, it's, a, you know, it's a combo. It's two, it's two together. But they're uh, both from the same frame, okay. and the the lower panel is the full frame of that image. Right, I I, I, I can see it now. Okay. Yeah, that's what's in between that and the other stuff, and it's um, and at the top something that I had initially thought was hollow. I I think maybe it's not, but you can see that it's made in sections. You know that nature didn't do that. You know the way that it's separated. no, it looks like sculpture. In fact, it looks like a big guy with heavy eyebrows. In the upper left of your enlargement at the top. And then and something in the, ba- the object in the background in the middle looks like a fox. Yeah. Long pointed snout. Go, well, let's get through some of these and then and then we're walking. <laughs> can uh, I number can five. I step in? Yes, yes, by all means. Let's not get Ron, let's not go too fast. Okay, we have plenty of time. 
Oh, okay. We All won't right. get to everything tonight. We just know that automatically. Yes, Ron? Uh, no, that was me, Jonathan. No. I, oh, John. I wanted, yeah. yeah, I wanted to mention that um, we're looking at technology here. These rocks are, in my opinion, are built according to their technology. So they, we know about some of this today on Earth in our science, but they were much more advanced, of course. So they made rocks. And they had rocks for heating, rocks for flying. That previous picture looked like a dart, you said, that, you know, that flies around. Mm-hmm. That probably is a flying ship. It's made out of stone. Well, how could you make stone How fly? do you know it's it, made out of stone? I, I don't, but you can make stone fly. You can make craft. And In fact, in John Carter of Mars, don't they have the flying uh, ships made out of stone? I don't so, remember. Yeah, you, you can, that's where the floating... The stones uh, that you see that appear to be falling in a number of Mars images, I believe, are floating. Well, if you apply the physics to any material, it doesn't have to be stone, it can be any material, you can make it levitate. How do we know that? A guy named um, uh, Lead Skalman in Florida. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he made Same. the huge uh, limestone, Neolithic limestone, uh, float. You know, one little guy, 90 pounds, soaking wet, all by himself. Remember the story where he was moving things from one location to where it is now? And he was very secretive, and he wouldn't let anybody help him. And he just had a driver pull up a big flatbed and then go to lunch. And the guy went to lunch, except he left his lunch pail back in the cab. And as he went back, in literally less than 10 minutes, Lee Scallon had somehow stacked blocks all over the flatbed in 10 minutes all by himself. Come on. He had to have zero anti-gravity technology to do that. And it was real limestone. It wasn't fake. It wasn't, you know, plaster of Paris mesh boulders. It was real cut blocks. And he figured out a way. And he claimed that he did it on the same basis as the Egyptians uh, of levitating huge masses and making them essentially weightless. I think that's the tip of the iceberg when you compare it to Mars tech. Mm, probably. Hey, Jonathan? Yeah. You said something that got me fired, got me fired up here because uh, uh, we're just about there. Um, okay, number five, which we can go back to, was the uh, is something that they obviously were very interested in because that block with the large flat side on the right. Oh, how uh, cool. They were really trying to get better they were really trying to get pictures of that. And so they took an awful lot of them. I just picked one because none of them are any better than that one for that. But this is, and this is all like a progression, like you're walking around the null. No, I, I organized them as best I could. Anyway, numbers, the sixes, six A and six B, those are the only two that I'm aware of that have rocks falling. You said the several pictures with falling rocks. These are the two that I found. And I don't know if they're falling or floating. Oh, you have to describe this very carefully. Start with the wide angle on the bottom and then move to the close-up on the top. And do not, do not stint on the detail because most people will miss this unless you carefully point out why we think we're looking at something suspended in midair. We are into break time right. here. Ah, I'm glad somebody's watching. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll tell you what, everybody hold it there. My guests this morning are Ron Gerbron and John Womack, and uh, Ruggiero Kahlo, and we're discussing 
something really amazing, which is what will happen when it becomes common knowledge, the stuff that we now take for granted, i.e. an ancient civilization on Mars, equally amazing ruins on the moon, things on Mercury, things on the satellites of, of Mars itself. Phobos and Deimos, in fact, are ancient technologies. They're ancient super habitats tens of miles in diameter and they're very eroded so they may have been bigger at one point the point is when this becomes common knowledge what happens to us what happens to civilization on this planet the second question is how does it become common knowledge well after many many years of looking at NASA and looking at ESA and the Japanese and the Chinese and the Russians and all the governmental space programs, it is my considered opinion that last night's conversation about the step function that the human race is about to take from complete government control of space to ordinary, messy, very vocative, very talkative, very social media-oriented civilians is going to be the way that disclosure happens. And, as always, time will tell. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. It's Sunday night here in the land of enchantment. We shall return. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone. Sunday night. Oh, going on Sunday night, Monday morning in another half hour. My guests this morning are Ron Gerbron and Ruggiero Kahlo and Jonathan Womack. And we're discussing the implications of the ultimate widespread acknowledgement and acceptance. And that's the real interesting part, the acceptance. Think of Brookings. The acceptance that we, the human race, are not alone. In fact, that we are the progenitors or the, the descendants of the progenitors of an extraordinary amount of stuff out there, not made by aliens, 
little grays, but by ancestors of you guys listening all over the world to the other side of midnight. Richard. (laughs) Hi there. (laughs) I am willing to join in. Super. Yeah. I can hear. Everybody sounds so shy. Gosh. And I know you guys are not shy. I can hear. You need to be a little louder. Oh, I need to be louder? Is that better? Yeah, much better. better. Yeah, don't don't yell. Yeah, it's just your level was down. So, uh, Ron, I have to say these images are just stunning. I was like drooling as I was <laughs> posting them. They're beautiful. And and I know you're doing a walkthrough, but I don't want to miss talking about number 14 at some point. Not now, but at some point. We will get there. Oh, it's, it's, possible to, it's possible to jump around a little bit. Yeah, that, uh, but... No, numbers. Okay, let's go back to the sixes and get that over with because I'm still curious about this. Jonathan, you still you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, yeah, you 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 made the comment about falling rocks, and I hadn't seen anything else about them. And I, uh, you know, I'm I'm willing to accept dirt on the lens as something that happens once in a while, but the one that's on six B. Um, and everybody should blow it up and take a good look at the lower section, which is the, you know, the whole ray. I think it's, uh, I can't remember. I think two images stitched together, mm-hmm. but um, it might just be the one frame. No, it's just one frame. I, okay, I blow them up in Norway. Oh, yeah, there's the whole frame up in the uh, upper left corner in the, lo- in the lovely um, urine yellow pallor that, they, uh, that uh, they seem to ascribe to the, yeah, you're now talking 6B. You're talking 6B now. Yeah, 6B is actually the first one, see, but it was it's a combo. And I did all the, you know, I did the biggest enlargement I could, you know, on the upper right there. So you can see it has shading and shape. And I said, that's not a piece of fluff on the lens. Now, is it falling down? Is it rising up? Uh, is it hovering? The only other thing I could add, exactly. Well, it can't be hovering, and there's one reason for that, because uh, they do take, since the, uh, in, except for a couple of filters, the two mast cams and the nav cams are the same, you know, so they can take tandem pictures if they want. They when you, wait, 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 definition, when you say the same, you mean they are bore-sided, so they cover exactly the same frame width and depth. Yeah, yeah, one's a little... Uh, one of the things that NASA has done since the beginning for unknown reasons are to make anaglyphs where they have two that are from just very slightly different perspectives. Uh, and um, then they... Uh, no, it's a poor man's stereo. Green... You know, red, yeah. red, yeah. red, blue, red, green, or poor man's stereo. Left is red, right is green, and you see it as a 3D image with the right glasses. Right, but in this case, there's a uh, backup function because if they take two pictures of the same basic thing, which they've done, which they did in this case, um, you know, then you've got one to compare to the other. You don't usually expect them to be different, skewed a little bit compared to the other. And in the case of this thing, uh, there is a matching one. See, that's NRF, which is the nav, um, nav cam right front. 
is what the NRF in their um, tidy jargon says. And there's an L, too. There's an L NLF of the same thing. Uh, but it doesn't have the mystery object in it. So wait, wait. We have, so two, means- we have two simultaneous pictures that are bore-sighted, so they're looking at exactly the same scene from the width of the, the cameras, which is a few inches. They're, you know, the left lens is a few inches to the left of the right lens of the right camera, right? Right. No controversy whatsoever. Yes. And they yes. take two pictures essentially simultaneously of the same scene. In this case, when you look for the companion matching frame to NRF underline 0178, that's the Sol, underline 06, et cetera, et cetera, the floating object, which is on the right-hand side enlarged, is missing. It's gone. Yes. And yet it's obviously a three-dimensional object with a lit side, a shadow side. It's, it's somehow not there on the companion frame. That means it can't be hovering, be gently moving. It had to be falling at some speed. Otherwise, because the sick cameras are not exactly synchronized, they're you know, milliseconds apart, maybe up to a second apart. It had left the frame by the time the other picture was taken. Yes, I and uh, so I, I had to dig in and look at the camera specs and everything else to satisfy myself if there was a reason for this because it really didn't look. It wasn't that I was trying to valiantly defend the idea that it was a rock hanging in space. It was that it just didn't look like dirt. And um, the uh, it turns out that they are, although they are capable of taking pictures at the same time, uh, they're all using the same set of software. Well, I'm trying to abstract it so it doesn't sound too technical. Because, you know, there's there's firmware in Percy that controls all these things. And in a case like the nav cams or the uh, mass cams, they're using the same uh, software to take the pictures. And the uh, they stagger them a little bit. They don't necessarily have to, but they have a, the fastest picture it can take because they're all autofocus and auto exposure. So it's not like somebody is controlling this from JPL or something. And they can take pictures at a thousandth of a second, which is fast enough for someplace like Mars. Um, and they, But any increment from zero to, uh, what is it, 80, 83, 84 seconds? It's a strange number uh, but for an exposure. But in this case, they probably a second apart. That's the bottom line. If you follow mm-hmm. the logic there, that they when they when they take a picture with both of them, there will be like a one second difference between the two. So within that second, that rock appeared uh, or passed through the frame, and so I thought, okay, that's novel. So we've got something going on here, and uh, you'll notice below it in the super enlarged thing in the corner there that actually that thing below it to the right is not solid. It's a mangled up. Well, there's actually a face on the right side of it, I'd say, and it looks to be pretty hollow because there's definitely a hole in it showing you some of the scenery behind it. So, it's you know, it's a formed object, whatever it is. So it, it could be getting levitated. Maybe it's maybe it's some cavorite. Maybe that's where you <laughs> got the idea. Uh, yeah, because it might have back moved. Th- it could have moved out yeah. of the frame vertically. Yeah, it could have been lift, lifting up. In other words, it, it eroded away. Yeah. And then it just kind of bounces up out of frame. 
Right. Well, there's other options, two others. Let's the uh, but if you look at six A for comparison, Going you'll see six A. Well, there's a long shot at the bottom. Now six A is a totally different image, taken at a totally, totally different, different image, time. But, by a totally yeah, different camera. This is the mass cam, not the nav cam. Yeah, and that and uh, of a totally different scene. It's it's looking at a different part of the horizon with that large conical, suspiciously looking object in the background. Yeah, yeah, the one with the big crack in it, yep. which is pretty obviously an an, ar- an arcology or a temple on top of a mountain. Uh, I'll go either way, uh, but it's you know there's there's structure there. It's just uh, Although it does kind of look hours. like it does look like the fissure in La Palma tonight. <laughs> I don't think there's any lava. I don't God. think so either. But uh, anyway, if you look at the close-up one, which is the top, which is the top four. part of the frame, right? I think you should have no trouble noticing it on the right side of the full frame below it. The uh, there's four. Now, not every dark dot in the background is probably a floating rock. Some of them could be something on the surface of that mountain behind, mountain slash arcology behind it. But the um, at, at least some of them are. And there's one on the right there. In fact, it's impinging. You know, it's in, it's overlapping a little bit of the ridge behind this particular. I mean, how do you describe a lumpy object like that? It's got a it's got a face on the and right. there looks face to be a shadow directly below it on that flat surface go. that's kind of triangular. I actually two of them show a slight bit of shadow. I wasn't looking. Oh, for I, shadow. I see another one to the upper left of that. Yeah. Oh. So it's apparently there's more than one of these. Now they if they're falling, where are they? Fall? Let's go with that for a second. I mean, I like. The well, they could be pieces of the dome. They could be obviously exactly. fragments of the dome falling from the uh, from the ceiling from the uh, attic. Uh, yeah. Remember yeah, Holger. Like remember on. Holger and his uh, infamous cloud that appeared magically and then moved out of frame because of the winds. And we kind of mm-hmm. talked about how it could have been a chunk of the dome which fell down, smashed into a trillion pieces of dust when it hit the surface, and it was the dust that we saw in the successive frames blowing in the wind. Well, now you're getting something important, and I don't have a picture to illustrate this, but that's why, that's perhaps why so much of Mars is so shiny in the locations that they land at. Explain. There's a lot of powdered glass. There's a lot of powdered glass lying on the ground. All right. Yeah, yeah, I think that fits that. Okay, now the... um, what I'm intrigued with is that the two objects that really have the definite bright sides and shadow sides, mm. the one on the far uh-huh. right and the one that's above the kind of saddle-shaped object in the middle of the larger frame at the top, the enlargement, they're blue. Mm-hmm. They're blue. They're, 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 they're colored. They're rock tech. Well, they're blue. See, I don't think we're looking at rocks, John. No, no, no. If you expose well, technology to erosion on Mars for, you know, 30, 40, 50,000 years for the latest civilization, it will not have a smooth surface. It will look like rock, but it won't be rock. I understand, but rock tech has other materials involved in it, metals and so forth. Mm-hmm. I just want to underscore this is a total speculation. We do not know what this stuff is made of because even though these spacecraft have incredible analytical instruments 
they never show us what they find. I'm intrigued with number five. Okay, let's go back to the page. We've got to move along because we're running out of time. It's amazing. Three hours goes like snow on the sunshine of Mercury. Number five. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Number five. It's just one, one back. Yeah. Okay. And we're walking. Yeah. The big boulder or in the middle, you got parallel lines that travel around to the other side into the shadowed area. They're perfectly symmetrically balanced all the way around. This is not a natural formation. No, they, they look like sculptured blocks. Literally building big things out of blocks of material like the pyramids in Egypt. Yeah, that's the part. That's the thing that looks very Egyptian. I well, I see, I see a Pharaoh's yeah. head on the shadow side, complete with the hat. I, there's something there, but it's... It, Can uh, see it? Do you see it? bring it out, and neither could I. Yeah, mm. I see what you're talking about. It's pretty... It's a, it's a, it looks it's like, a judgment call. It, it, looks like, it looks like a pudgy Pharaoh with a conical hat in outline, like a, um, pet, like, like a petroglyph on the shadowed mm-hmm. side. I'm not noticing yeah, that. But I'm... <laughs> See, art is so subjective. Oh, well, what I'm noticing is up on the crest there, you see that overhanging block. You can see the sky behind it. You mean below it? Thank you. It's yeah. just suspended yeah, there yeah. on a little point. It's mm-hmm. like it's perfectly And that little point there. is not touching that other rock either. Yeah, thank you, Kinsia. That's exactly yeah. I, why I went back here. Well, there's two uh, of those yeah. things. To the lower left of it, further down the hill, we'll call that a hill. Yeah, there's another. Ha- you can see another. Right. It's another overhang. It's it's a cylindrical. It's got definite shadow side. It's got a shadow on the ground, and most of it is kind of suspended in midair. Yeah, for all that weight, yeah. you would yeah. expect it to be balanced that way. And you could look at this sure. another way too, Richard. Is from the perspective of uh, CSI, maybe, or something, but just um, like if this was a video, when everything went boom and all this destruction, rewind the tape. Some of these photos, you can kind of see where everything fell over, and if you back up, if you rewind the tape, you can see, oh, this was up here. This was a head that fell over on its side. Yeah, you can, you can reconstruct the pieces. Exactly. Reconstruct, yeah. Well, I think on this image, we can do that. The big guy on the right, I think, split from the big guy on the left and rolled 90 degrees. I think that flat face on the top kind of matches that flat face on the right-hand side in shadow of the guy on the left. Mm, but it's <laughs> like it's turned. Yeah, rotated off. 90 degrees. It flipped. Well, this is exactly what That's I was going for. I wanted flip. to... I wanted to confront people with enough different ones that they would start to discuss it. And, um, yeah, you can throw number seven into the mix because there's another rectangular block. It's obviously a piece of a wall. And we're walking and we're walking. And and then I want to come back to nine. Oh, oh, look at seven. seven. Look at seven. Wow. Yeah, that one's just pretty. But it does have... Well, look at that big damn block right in the middle underneath the piece of the rover. That's yeah, the like, that, that's like, the that's the uh, arm that's in the in the way. 
That's part of the right. arm. Well, it's not in the way. It's like it provides some sense of scale, and it's like them saying, Well, it's so much closer guys. to the camera than the background, but you, you can see the symmetries yeah. of an artificial object. Look at that block right under it. And then mm-hmm. to the left of it, there's more bifurcated things that do not look natural, including the shadow thingy sticking up. Yeah. Okay, now, Cynthia, you wanted us to go where? I want you to go back to number nine number in the nine. lower right-hand corner. Number we haven't gotten to nine yet. Oh, no. I thought, oh, okay, no, no, forgive no. me. Oh, I no. we were talking about it earlier. All right. <laughs> okay, well, we'll go there. We'll go there instead before eight. Yeah, All right, go ahead. going go ahead to nine. Number nine, because that, okay. yeah, that's in... one that has an intruder. Yeah, the, All right. The lower right is a picture oh. from Curiosity that was put there to... Sh- for contrast. So go ahead and say what you were going to say. Oh, well, I was going to talk about, well, there's curious things, obviously, in the top one, too. But in that lower right one, if you look at where it seems to be like a horizontal two-thirds up, there's a kind of plate with um, etching of some kind on it. And you can see an overhang that this is a thin plate. It's not like thick rock. You can see the shadow being cast mm-hmm. down under it yep. like it's a, uh like it, a piece of sculpture it, it's on the right hand side shield right? or something yet yeah. well no the one it's if you were to draw a line down the center the right part of it touches the center line and right. it extends to the left center line and it's about one third of the way down where there are these horizontal rocks and right, it's just right. below the horizontal rock it's like a shield, maybe with an ornate pattern. Mm, okay. But it's definitely not a thick rock because you can see the thinness of it, and you can see the delicate shadow being cast right underneath it. Ron, what kind of an enlargement from the Curiosity original is this? Uh, that one is because I just did it the day before yesterday. I think it's a two hundred percent. Okay, because I'm intrigued. I can go to four hundred. Because I'm intrigued with the guys at the very top and the back, which are definitely technological, all in a, in a row. They look cylindrical. The one on the left has a has a dark radar, you know, nose cone kind of look. Then there's cylindrical yes. objects to the far right. They look like machines. They look like they're glistening in the sun. They have specular reflection. They don't have uh, uh, patterned surfaces. They're more they're smoother, which may relate to age. Remember, we're looking at all kinds of eras on Mars all smushed up against each other because the lack of terrestrial erosion means that ancient stuff, really ancient, falling out of the woodwork can look like modern stuff that's only 30,000 years old. Well, you're in luck. That picture happens to be – I wanted to put something from uh, Curiosity there for contrast with the the Percy part because – uh, there's more junk lying around, the, to use a technical term, lying around on the ground in the curi- a lot of curiosity images than we've seen so far from Perseverance. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, I wanted a dra- dramatic thing, and so I took a slice of an appro- of the appropriate width to fit on the damn page right. uh, from from a full panorama from Curiosity that I did. So that's I can give you a I can give you a super wide thing of that that. Uh, you know, extends on quite a bit. I mean, the only, uh, it's at about the same scale as the Percy pictures because the, mm. the similarity in the, 
focal lengths of the lenses and See, stuff. See, one of the, the problems uh, is that we, we all of us, and I count everybody here, we all know too much. Yeah. We've been looking at this for, some of us, decades. Some of us, like 50 years. And it's like we, we know instantly this can't be natural because there's too much geometry. There's too much order. There's too much organization. And yet ordinary folks, and that's most people, they look at this and they say, oh, what nice rocks, period. Because they've been told no, they're rocks windows. by NASA over and over and over and over and over again. And that's their expectation. What you can't imagine, you cannot see. Well, I find yeah, I, uh, that right, you know, in that above that bottom right-hand section, if you go up to the Percy image right above it, mm-hmm. there's like a, um, it's not a hand, but I'm just saying a hand. If you were to cup your hand and you see this curving image come up and it's got, it's, it's very fluid and it's not. Uh, it's not like a solid rock thing. It's like it's a cupping and then it comes up and it's moving around in a very serpentine kind of, of way. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's full of holes. Organic. It's actually clearer on the smaller version. I, I mm-hmm. have to admit, the uh, the one on the lower left. If you look for, if you look at that same object and just enlarge it on your screen. I, I'm not uh, seeing the object. Actually... Where is the object? Oh well, okay. It's if you were looking at that right-hand corner at the bottom, and you go straight above it, mm-hmm. that that object, you'll see it also to the left in the lower left. To me, it looks like a damaged car fender kind of shape, but it's um, yeah. If and if you look, uh, if you look straight down in the in the full frame, the pinkish one on the lower left, the uh, it's about. Uh, Three quarters of the way up and right in the middle. Yeah, the same just slightly to the left of the you, middle. Uh huh. Yeah, and if you just blow if you just blow that up one there, there you can actually see more detail. Hmm. The, uh, I see something like, that looks like a skull looking straight uh, at the camera, and 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 a nose. Uh, Ruggiero, you're a you're a medical guy. What do you think? Do you see it? I see what looks like uh, a cut fist. Um, yes. See, everybody is different. The subjectivity is fascinating, which is another reason why we're not making much inroads yet, because everything we see, we see, but other people looking at the same thing, their mileage may vary. In fact, it usually does. Yeah, I'm so bo- I'm so boring. The reason that I looked at the picture at all was because of what's at the top edge. Which I, I saw windows in it, and I said, "Oh, which top edge? Which <laughs> but, uh, which top edge of the, of any of any of either of the Percy ones?" Okay, mm-hmm. and see, I see Mesa's at the it's top. It's way over. Yeah, it's way over to the left. Oh, yeah, I, I oh, you mean see, that little something. that little building over there on the left? Just to the yeah yeah, it's very small and it's right on the edge below the top layer, brownish yeah. layer. Yeah, and right above it's the grayish. Way line of stuff there's this rectangular looks like a looks like one of the houses next to me here in the middle of nowhere in our in uh, new mexico very mm-hmm. western architecture adobe it would yeah okay behind sorry that, to cut you off Roger. what were you about to say i was going to say behind the cut fist i think is the object richard was talking about which looks like it's almost like clam shape or do you know when does anyone windsurf here no it's hard to okay. do that in a desert. Right. So attach a windsurfer 
um, sail to the mask, you need a clip, and it clips on. And you can see that the object to the left and behind the hand has got it's got a hollow um, on the left-hand side of it. Can you mm-hmm. see that, Richard? Mm-hmm. No. See, without coordinates, it's, it's so subjective. Like the yeah. object I'm looking at, if you take uh, uh, Ron's curiosity inset, and then you go up to the next frame, which is an enlargement of the whole frame on the left of the curiosity inset, those objects right at the bottom right-hand corner of the frame above the curiosity frame, that's in the middle of the whole frame on the left. That's the one we're talking about. Well, the object which is shadowed in the foreground, which you say is a hand, I just see it as a shadow. I didn't say a hand, but it's kind of that shape. Like if you were to curve your hand, it has that shape. It doesn't have like fingers. Okay. I, 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 I see it as an interesting shape. I don't know what it is. But to the left and just above it, peeking out from behind it, Mm-hmm. There is this skull with two eyes and a missing nose, which is where the skull, you know. Mm. Um, I see what you're looking at. I don't exactly read it. We're at the, coming up on the top of the air. Amazing oh, how time the flies. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Richard, what about all the white as well? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, let us, let us uh, do that um, okay. momentarily. My guest and I get lost in this stuff because it it just sucks you in. I mean, you're looking at the potential ruins of not one civilization, score if not more, on a planet where there is no air to speak of now, and the erosion, well, it plays tricks, like all deserts. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com.
Welcome back, everyone. Sunday night, Monday morning from the Land of Enchantment. We're talking about the impact of the confirmation of a previously inhabited solar system. In every sense of the word, Kraft Ericke's memorable mankind's, humankind's magnificent heritage. Because it is our heritage. Because it's ours, it's humans, it's our family, it's our great, 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 you go on for a while, grandmothers, as I've said many times before. Okay, let's return to Ron, Ron's ruins tonight, which I think we're doing a really good job of of showing to everyone. Uh, Where are you taking us next? Okay, one step back to number eight, because we jumped over that, Mm -hmm. and I'm very... I'm, oh, I'm look at that. Wow. Yeah, this is this is two Hascam, I think. Ones that yeah, you can see you can see the seam uh to the right there in the, in the in the sky. Well, only yes, but only up there. The thing is there's one thing you can't control which is the sky because that uh the tiny little shift to one side or the other with the camera and you're going to get a slightly different um well, what I'm struck uh, by is, is, is this a raw image, an original from NASA? Yes, yes. Well, it's two of them. Two well, of them. That's where when, I stitched when, them together. I say, when the I, only part when I, that I couldn't When, when I say Go image, ahead. I mean what we're seeing. What we're seeing is an yeah. image, however you composite it. The point I'm looking at is the damn sky is blue. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, that's yeah, crucial. It's and it's incredibly bright. Sure. And at the risk of belaboring mm-hmm. a point... That color and that brightness cannot be in an atmosphere which is one one you know one hundredth of the Earth's atmosphere. And last night when Doug Plata kept talking about NASA's numbers, I was I had to bite my tongue. I almost said, Doug, why are you believing that nonsense? They're lying about the Martian atmosphere. But of course, that would have really you know thrown a cat among the pigeons. So I didn't do that. I was very good. Yeah. Now, yeah. now well, the, the the dark stuff at the top are pieces of the Perseverance rover, and the cameras correct. looking out from under, and those are much closer. Those are not hanging in the sky; they're part of the uh, Perseverance yeah. rover. But the objects in the background and, are amazingly ordered. Go ahead. Well, it was the big, yeah, it's the big flat platform, which is your your classic piece of um, megalithic architecture that I was going for. Oh, it and looks like a P- have, it, look, it looks like Kintia's foundation. Remember Kintia when you did that brilliant yeah. discussion of the foundation on the uh, uh, Trump video, the presidential briefing. It looks like another platform like that. Yeah, and it extends back, you know, into the distance in the to the rear. You can see there's a there was some long rectangular structure there, and there were other smaller ones around it. I mean, the thing in the lower le- in the lower left corner of this image, you know, you can see that's another one with a more um, rustic, probably intentionally, um, foundation around it. But the, now, what yeah, would yeah, you say? One, what, what would you say to folks that say, "Oh, come on, guys, you're looking at geological strata." Uh, it, well, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> that's Tell us why. About Tell us why. Oh, we're on number number eight. 
Cynthia asked. What yeah, this is back on number. This number on back. This is back on number eight. I, I mean, look at the stuff that's up along the top of the ridge. It's separated. It's individually weathered. Right. Whatever you want to say about the things that are engraved on it, and there's no there's no geological way for it to end up ordered like that. I mean, you used the proper word there. It's a, it's a very ordered arrangement of things here. You know, they may have fallen apart. Over on the right, there's that thing with what obviously looks like a base at the uh, a one that was once a base. See, I uh, think that corner of that exposed platform goes all the way to the left out of frame, and that object tilted in the uh, on the left-hand side kind of equal to the overhang of, of Percy in the middle. That's a part uh-huh. of that's a part mm-hmm. of this foundation. This is a huge foundation of a big, 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 big building, and now most of it is buried under under the sand that's flowing down from the ridge from the top on the left. Because it's all oriented uh, parallel, in parallel, parallel fashion. Exactly. Yeah, right. And and below that platform, uh, the uh, you'll notice that it's. Well, I think that's a pretty good stitch job myself. You can't oh, it see is. where the line is. It is, no. Yeah. And they they are very confident in these cameras. The the auto alignment that they do or the precision calibration when they before they send it up there. Right. Hey guys, hats off. The stuff's great. I wish they would overlap them a little more. I mean the overlap is like oh 15 pixels. You mean, I mean what you mean you mean it, hang on hang on hang on you got to define everything cuz people are not experts. I'm when going to. when when yeah. they're taking the pictures they move the camera to the left or the right and they take another picture and they move it to the right and they take another picture so they have a panorama like standing at a tourist attraction taking your, your smartphone and going click turning to the right another click turning to the right another click and the overlap you say which should be generous it's like 15 pixels on an image, which is like 2,000 pixels wide. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, they use tailoring analogies. That's why they call it stitching, you know. So I, that's like the selvage of the image <laughs> is uh, it varies. You know, it depends on what they feel like. But in the case of these, they are so precisely aligned on the rover that uh, they don't need very much. Sometimes you want a little more, you know, but it's a, that I, that would have helped with the sky because I could have sort of softened it and mm. removed that line. But I decided to leave it stark because I wanted people to see that I do not futz with them. I mean, I could easily paint that out. Well, that's why I asked you if this to... was an original because that damn blue sky just immediately blew me away. It's like, wait, 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 wait. Where's the green we've come to expect from the Perseverance images? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's still a little bit on the on the half of it to the right. I think this may have something to do with the peculiar lighting in Jezero Crater, which we think is caused by refraction from glass. You, you mean light uh, through the Coke bottle dome? Yeah, I mean, the dome, is, the, dome the dome has turned greenish, like glass does exposed yeah. to ultraviolet light. Yeah, and. Uh, so I, I could have, you know, I could have included the raw images themselves, but that's, there's an awful lot of images up there. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that we've made, the, made it this far through them, right. and I hope we get to the... Uh, okay, it's 12.09. Uh, Let's move along, move along. Come on. Well, come wait, on. wait, wait, wait. Yeah. I'm really struck by the corner that's being formed in the left-hand, in the left-hand corner of the image. You see, uh-huh. it's like if you were to extend the line, it would create a corner of, of a foundation or yes, something. Yes, of course. You can see... Yep. 
straight line this way and the straight line that mm-hmm. way. Our and look at look that. at the oh look. you know like go ahead. Yeah. I said like, ahead, well Mark. like 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 Rocket says in the Marvel movies I'm going to get that gun. I really wanted that foundation, but the, I couldn't find the complimentary pictures to make it any bigger. I'll, I'll if I can ferret something out. Yes, you picked a good spot, Kinsey, because I like the rougher ones like that because it makes it more obvious that somebody assembled the pieces. Mm-hmm. You know, if something's smooth enough, you can just say, oh well, that was magma or something. So anyway, well, yeah, the, yeah, one yeah, of the everybody. key arguments against sedimentation, or in conventional terms, rock strata, is the mm-hmm. knobbiness and irregularity of the regularity. Because when you lay down sediments in quiet pools, remember we're supposed to be at the, you know, in an ancient lake, you don't, you would mm-hmm. get uniformity, which means when you have erosion, you wouldn't have the irregularity of erosion. Because the material is so uniform that would it would erode much more uniformly, and it's the very irregularity of the regularity. Can I get more circumlocution here? That gives us the indication that this is an artificial platform built of individual blocks as opposed to a seamless strata eroding under natural forces. Richard, right. can you, you see the semicircle underneath the big block? Big block. Uh, the big flat flat block you're talking about. The one the, on the, the one toward the right-hand side. In of the, the middle. platform. The one to the right of the overhanging Percy material, Percy that's equipment. The, that's the one. We're right in the middle of it. It's a semicircle. It looks like a column. What are you talking about? Yeah, I see something. I don't know whether I see a semicircle. I see detail. It, it's, like a, it's a disc like the one on top of the... Um, Arch in Utah, the Arch Park, Utah. Oh, just looks like um, something's been broken off. It's like if you had a, a column. Oh, now that's interesting. So this could have been a foundation for a huge column. Now that's intriguing. Wow. Well, that would be big. Yeah, it'd be very large. Uh, do you have any sense of scale, Ron, for how big these things are? Uh, only relative to the arm of the rover there. You know, I think that gives us some. Yeah, but the, met, that's right uh, in front of the camera. The, 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 these things are much farther away, mm-hmm. you know. Well, not a lot, or it wouldn't all be in the same focus, like a focal plane like that. It's uh, They're fairly close. It's not far away. I mean, there's there are series shots where they've crept up on something, and you can see the shadow of that boom uh, or the, the mast. Hang it, you know, encroaching on the thing underneath. That's the only interesting thing about those. But the, uh, if you look at the picture, last week's uh, picture of the week from Perseverance. Yeah, we're going to remember that, the week right? was, mm. was the, <laughs> Well, I'm saying it's three slabs that are arrayed like steps, and they look just like tennis stairs, mm. you know, somewhat shallow rise stairs. Okay, time is, time, time, time is fugiting. We must move along. We have to get a couple of these. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Number ten. Very briefly. Uh, there's something from the uh, from the Zurong people, contrasted with something from uh, Percy, and um, right under the second block of numbers in the name of the image it's imprinted on the Percy raw image. There. Uh, there in the is, bottom middle. Uh, you'll see. 
yeah, in the bottom middle. Uh, that's what is featured uh, to the left, color corrected, and you can see that thing in the that pointy thing in the distance actually does look like a pyramid. It, it, it looks like a distant, just behind behind this ridge, which is relatively close. It looks like a faceted pyramid yeah. with the light coming from the left, shadow on the right, and there's this big dark rectangle. Is that on the pyramid? No, that's another building I'd say in front of it. But it and it's know, divided into two it's half. divided into two sections. There's a left half and a yep. right half and they both have shadowing. Oh that yeah, is there's cool. a, and the, and 10B right next to it is the full Percy image. And that's one of those where there were two almost identical images. I mean and they are so identical that I right. had to mark one of them so that I okay. could make we, sure that we, I didn't we, get them mixed we don't, up. We don't need much more detail because we're losing time here. Let's move along. Right. But if you, yeah, but if you, you can blow that one up and get and see a lot better, uh, that stuff toward the pyramid. So that's, that's the, um, maybe it's, yeah. And any, okay. Number 11, where we got to get to 14 because we promised Kintia <laughs> the, um, uh, here's some more of that stuff like the one that we spent so much time on. This is much crisper, as is sometimes the case. And there, here the uh, decoration is obviously much more ideographic. And there's also that one thing that looks like it's got – it looks like a, an eroded slot machine. I mean, it looks, it looks like slot machine windows or coin slots at the top uh, uh, on the right side of it. Just blow that up. And you know what we need it. to do? It'll be so helpful if we put grids over these and along the top, A, B, C, D, and on the bottom, right or left, uh, going down one, two, three, four, and then you just say, you know, grid reference, four, C, that kind of thing. Because finding interesting yeah. stuff in a field like this without knowing exactly where to look, it's daunting. And even for me, I've been doing this for decades. It's daunting. Mm-hmm. For ordinary okay, people well, we listening... Could- it must be almost impossible. No, I want them to spend time looking at these and decide for themselves. So, from my perspective, hmm. uh, if we and if we sweep along number twelve, like I said, we got to at least get to fourteen. Although I really would like to talk about one of the moving um, at twelve, looking at twelve. Yeah, um, and right in the center there, um, there's a little. This guy. is just a, a rich. Extends more. It extends, you know, it, it, but it's it's just a section blown up like four four hundred percent, I think, from the original. Um, and that looks like a piece of drywall with a section cut out of it. I mean, it is so square. See again, what are we know, looking at? In, I need to here. see what we're right looking. The, the white thing right in the middle that's got it that looks like a square Pac-Man, you know, with a uh, the lower right. Uh, what, I take that back. There's another square piece overlaying it. So think of two like ceiling tiles, one laying on top what of the I'm other. Seeing is, I'm seeing those squares at the far right of the image, not in the middle, far right. Uh, yeah, there's more squares on number uh, number 12. Look at number twelve. On, uh, on the far right, on the far right, there's a rather complex assemblage of stuff. Don't you see those two squares overlapping, very flat, very thin, like plates? And they've got details. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. But they're not well, in the I'm middle. They're you, they're uh, top to bottom. They're in the middle, but they're on the far right of the image. It's easier to divide the image in half, and you were to come down one third, you'd see 
like a square. It's got actually two, three, it looks like three right angles, fairly large, and it's flat, and it's very shiny. It's the shiniest thing in the whole image. And then it's we need coordinates. resting over we need, this is, another. Yeah. It's, I, it's I think you guys are looking at the same it. thing. You're yeah. looking at the same thing. Can, can we get to what Cynthia wants us to see? Because I want to know what's going on in 24. I'm blown away by 24. Jonathan and Ruggiero, you look at 24 and tell me what you see, because it blows me out the water. Okay, you guys study that. I can answer that, and I can answer 24 very briefly. So let's go through a couple of these first. Okay. Number 13, just contemplate it. Come back, come back with your opinions. Uh, number 14, here we go. The other one that's pretty. Yeah, sometimes they come out just right, but that is just so, or the, the decorations on the right side of whatever that is are so ornate and so clear. And to me, that looks more like Cambodia or India than Egypt, but it's, well, I'm, you know, even I'm, parts of Africa. Yes? Yeah, I'm struck Continue, by yes. the center, the, what's at the top there, at the top of the ridge. You see, all the rest of it has like these patterns, but at the center, it's... Uh-huh. There's these smooth carved areas, especially this block that's like just in front of that back piece. And it looks like a mm-hmm. piece of sculpture. It, it's this beautiful smoothing and kind of muscle tone. And it's in such a mm-hmm. contrast to the other areas where they're very textured. This is smooth, but it's not like that flat glass sheared off smooth. It's curving. So it's not happening, you know, because something got sliced off. No, this is beautifully no. sculpted. In fact, I know it's rock, but it kind of reminds me of pottery, you know, when you see But we pottery. don't know it's rock, and see, that's my point. Well, so, you don't, well, you cannot well, tell. It's uh, Hang on. It's, it's something that erodes in an incredibly detailed fashion. But the material itself, we don't know it's rock. We've been conditioned by NASA overlooking at rocks. No. Any high-tech surface, given enough time, will erode in these complex patterns. So it can't be just rock, or maybe it is. We don't know because they're not telling us. But that triangular shape in the middle looks like a cowling with a perfect triangular angle to it pointing upward. Yes. That just blows yeah, we're, away. We're, we're talking 14 now, right? Yep, 14. Okay. That triangle is yeah, that, it's shadowed it's on the inside. It it looks like a cowling off of some kind of craft or something. It just it, it looks just a lot like my skylight. Some of these Yeah, it's a very Yeah, it's John, very John. artificial. That shape. overhanging thing again up towards the top you can see the yeah. sky through where mm-hmm. that block is overhanging. Yeah. I think some of these scale I'd say it was like pottery. But... <laughs> So John, you just got to bowl your way through because they're all <laughs> so excited. Yeah, go for it. Well, a lot of these were meant to be seen from the angle that we're looking at them, but some of these structures are meant to be seen from above when you're flying above the planet. How do we know that? Uh, because of my travels to Mars, but you don't know that. I know it. <laughs> well, but you see, the things you cannot architecturally speaking, the, the things you cannot democratize are personal experiences. They're valid, but they're only valid for you. That's why, remember, science is not personal experience. Science is democratized common experience. So there have to be things that everybody can look at and say, 
oh yeah, that's you know that's called agreement. So in in your mm-hmm. own travels, like the folks at SRI who've done remote viewing, you have yeah. seen this in its current form and its previous form. Uh, not this particular image. No, no, no I mean in saying... general, Mars itself. In general, uh, yes, yes. Uh, let me throw another thing out there. Um, I saw what are akin to surfboards here, in, like in your computer. But instead, it's made out of rock or some whatever they use, this technology. Okay, they... what I term that is smart architecture, where the, okay. where the construction and the architecture literally has circuitry embedded in it. Yes. Think of it as 3D printing because it's it's a smart building. It it does all kinds of things. It senses. It it produces senses for you. It talks to you. It it, it does things. In other words, the building itself is alive in a technological sense. And when you make it into a ruin, the fragments look like embedded circuitry in wallboard. And then. If, if you zoom out your awareness so that you can see the whole planet sitting in space, you realize that the planet has been pecked up or pimped out or, you know, they extend it to the, the whole planet has this sort of construction to it. How interesting. Now, you don't know this. What's the Martian word for feng shui? Yeah. <laughs> see, you don't know this, and Ron does not know this, and Kinthea doesn't know this, and Ruggiero doesn't know this. But what I'm about to talk about in the next half hour, our last segment, fits in perfectly with what you just laid out. Perfectly. And there's okay, no way you could have known what I figured out, and it's based on real measurable data. This is called common consensus on 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 a, on a model. Cool. Okay, let's rush through the last couple here, and then I can explain twenty four and let you do what you're <laughs> planning to do. Okay, we can actually skip sixteen and seventeen because they are lovely. They are interesting to look at, but it's we've been talking about it relative to the other ones. Uh, number eighteen, uh, which some of you have seen before, is a um, frame from a couple of weeks ago. And uh, there's a whole bunch of obvious interesting ruins that they're probably trying to avoid going near uh, on the horizon. But um, right there on the picture, and, uh, you know, there's the rover. And right in front of it, uh, there's the foundations of an ancient building. It's obviously the corner of of an ancient structure. It's all right in the same – yeah, you can see that. And this is all right in the same neighborhood. And there's that thing that looks like a wheelbarrow – uh, right next to and above the um, rover, you know, it's got some sand on the top of it, but it's all roundish and it's got, you know, too much structure to just yeah, be the, a the, 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 the Percy, How, Percy is in the lower left-hand corner. The hexagonal yeah, thingy hardness. is the high-gain antenna. The various pieces of the equipment are the uh, uh, shock absorbers for the landing, uh, for the wheels on the far left. And parts of anyway, you can see their shadows. But the but the objects that it's sitting in front of, it looks like the eroded corner of an ancient ancient building. Well, this gets better. The uh, the thing that's coming out uh, on the rover, coming out of the rectangle, the hexagonal section there with the rubber baby buggy bumper on the front of it. Mm-hmm. it look at what it's pointing at. That curvy thing lying down there. Yep. Uh, see it. Yeah, Jonathan, I think it was mentioned before that uh, the stuff isn't always 
right side up. That's an important thing. Oh, no. We don't no. see it. We, no. Yeah, we see it upside down and backwards. And it's with the angle that the shots are taken, it's often pretty hard to just rotate them and get it. So you just have to try and visualize it. However, that thing there, if you, you see that curvy object that it's pointing right at in the, four, you know, the first of the lumps lying there, mm-hmm. zoom in on that a little bit. And it is part of a sculpture, some sort of dryad or demon or something with like curved horns. On the right is the head and the face. And if you flip it over completely uh, in your mind to the left, you will, um, and you can tell this is the raw thing because I see a piece of schmoo. No, that's a rock. Okay, I thought it was a piece of schmoo mm-hmm. that I didn't remove from the image. Uh, but over, I think it was attached. In other words, it was like the way gargoyles are looking down from the cornice of a building. Right. The the tan part on the top of it, the flat part there, I think that's where it broke away from wherever it was fitted. You know, and so it was looking down off of the... So it's upside ridge. down. Uh, it's upside down. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's, and, the and you can take it into road. an imaging program, rotate the whole image, and you'll see it right set up. Hey, we're running out of time. So... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That that was the that was the. Okay. Let me. Uh, two things. Two things. Okay. Skip. 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 Number nineteen is some ruins in Mexico City that were pre-Inca pre, or pre-Mayan um, uh, that they found when they were renovating one of their aqueducts just last year, and um, you can compare that for local color. Uh, number twenty. Number twenty-one. Now. Uh, Curiosity hasn't taken any color images in a long, long time. So this is one of their black and white images. But look at the damn thing. Look at those. Look at those plates that are like lying around. Yeah, it, it does not it's, enlarge, I mean, unfortunately. That, the, well, you can just zoom on, on your, you know, if, oh, you can do that computer. Too. Yeah. yeah. No, it's not that big an image either. But it's. Uh, oh, okay. I just took one of those, and it's. Yeah, there's okay. an awful lot of arch- awful lot of artificial stuff there, and. Um, Okay. Another one of those is number 22, another one from Curiosity. If you look carefully at the top, you will see faces in there, pretty rough, uh, but on, they weren't on they 22 were or finished. With some, yeah, at the top, they want the frame at the bottom. Those are two separate frames of these um, Curiosity things. And there's that thing that is so obviously uh, a car, a couple of uh, carefully shaped blocks lying right at the bottom center. I mean, at the base of the uh, weight there. Mm-hmm. It, it looks like a it looks like a rectilinear acorn or something. Um, kind of, yeah. Okay, yeah. number 24. Got it? Okay, number 24. And number 23A is the complete raw versions of curiosity images. And number 23B shows you what happens when uh, I stitch them together and... Uh, cleaned it up and there's part of Gale City in the, in Gale Crater in the background. That's what they had okay. smudged out. But, okay, 24. Out. Yeah, we are okay, we are at, on. We're, we're, hang on, we'll we'll pick this up on the other side of midnight. You are on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. Don't touch that dial.
theothersideofmidnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment for your endeavors. $0.08 cents an episode. Two and a half cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone. Last half hour of the Sunday night edition of The Other Side of Midnight. Another whole week. You know what we're going to do, guys? I'm going to announce this right now. We're going to pick this up as part three next Saturday because we have so many additional data points to show. And we got all my stuff, which is about the moon, major breakthrough and some historical whatever. That uh, I want to save this half hour to talk about a major Martian anomaly, which I believe might have an artificial source that NASA has given us as part of a new um, data point in the last few days. But before we get to that, let's go back to Ron. And Ron, you were going to talk about image number 24. Go for it. Yes. Yeah, that's the the one and only uh, Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter shot on here. Put it in there because just to represent the Chinese efforts a little bit. This picture was taken by us. That is from the image that was taken, the first one, that was taken by the reconnaissance orbiter showing where the uh, Chinese lander landed. The general region. And Well, there's a, it's on an image strip. And I have another thing. I can, I can include it for next week if you want, but it's, it's got a... Um, the little black and white, or the little black and white image that they took from their camera, the Chinese, hmm. that shows it's got little. Now you know that idiot, NASA's idiot claiming grammar. we got to move along. You know NASA's claiming these are sand dunes. Why aren't they well, this, sand dunes? Do you guys see the birds in there? Yes, I see all kinds of stuff. Ron, yeah, why aren't like they wings. sand yeah. dunes? And there's a person standing down in the lower left hand, or two people standing in the lower left hand corner. I, this oh, is, I don't know about that. Oh, it, it, it looked like figures to me. Art one looks subjective. like he's looking straight down. The other one is below him. And, and okay. the, the bird in the middle, those are wings. I don't care how you look at it. And then the one to the right looks like a parrot. with. And your parts. mileage may vary. The reason I know this is architecture and not you know, nature is because of the geometry. The geometry. It's all yep. the geometry. Even art can see it, right? Art is controlled geometry. What's mm-hmm. the scale of this photo? Good question. Ron? Okay, the, all right. <clears throat> the, uh, for a sense of scale, you, can, uh, you would have to, I could see. The original strips are, a little, are like 
um, half a mile wide mm-hmm. normally that they uh, that they shoot, and this is much smaller than that. How much? You know, say it's, it's, well, the way to tell that, and this is the best I can do because there's no you know yardsticks. I mean, I can do a calculation for a week from now or something if you wanted. But the the Chinese released a black and white picture, a nice square picture showing where their thing landed, and it's got little marks on it to show you where it is and where the head, where the heat shell landed and stuff. Right on that picture, up at the very top, uh, is just the lowermost part of this crushed building which they're calling a crater. Um, the, uh, well, you can, you can see it's a building. You know, look, at the, you... look at the geometry about halfway up. I mean, I'm sorry, two-thirds of the way up on the right-hand side above the bright stuff. The bright stuff is vertical, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you can see dark material shadowed of an interior, that mound, that gently sloping mm-hmm. mound with the shadow side with the two brilliant geometric things sticking out of it that look like, you know, angel wings, to use Keith's term. Um, you can see geometry on the right-hand side of this mound. You know, this was an ancient building, obviously an ancient building. Yeah. Anyway, you, if you find that on the Chinese orbital picture, it's it's very recognizable. It's like the bottom third of this. So right how big is it? Mm. You beat around the bush, though. So. How uh, big is it? No, 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 no. I need, this is tools, Richard, because I don't have that three-panel example included here and you don't remember so you don't remember the scale Uh, i'm trying to tell you if you want me to do it uh, do it fast please uh, we got to get to something 500 yards okay call it 500 yards across so it's 1500 feet 1500 feet the size of an aircraft carrier give or take and diameter yeah yeah see see john we finally got to the answer Gosh. Yeah, well, that's not an answer. That's a, that's a guesstimation, but that's I, I'm it's telling close enough for folk it music, as we used to say. God. All right, I wanted to make sure people could find. Remember, Hoagland's first law: all science is approximate. <clears throat> okay. Okay, let's pick oh. up what Richard wanted to talk about. Well, the cool thing is, okay, a couple yes. three days ago, like one week ago. Wait, I have to hand out the peanut butter sandwiches at the end of the tour. Okay, okay everybody gets your lunch. Okay. All right, go ahead. Oh, delicious! <laughs> Richard's next. Delicious. Yeah. Mine, 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 mine has jelly on it. Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, usually they make them a day ahead of time, so they're dry as hell, but anyway. Okay, so what you want to do is, you know, scroll back up or scroll down to where you see fast links to items. Click on my items. That will take you back to the, to the homepage of, of our guest page. Look at item number 10. Click on number 10. A week ago, NASA told us in amazing you know, verisimilitude that they've been, you know, walking this InSight spacecraft, unmanned spacecraft, uh, through its paces for the last thousand days, a thousandth day on Mars, a thousandth soul was uh, the 18th Saturday, a week from last night, and they recorded their biggest earthquake exactly 1,000 days after they landed. Exactly. Marsquake. Earthquake, Marsquake, whatever. Anyway, the point is, um, there's, a, there's a, a phone commercial that says, what do you call, you know, earthquakes on Mars? Marsquakes? So it's part of the general questioning. Anyway, um, they, they said that this Marsquake took 90 minutes 
to evolve. It was a 90-minute, that's one and a half hour long, that's impossible. But that's NASA's, you know, presentation, a 90-minute long earthquake, Marsquake. So beginning with Ron, moving through Ruggiero and through John and then Kinthea, why is what NASA just told us about this earthquake completely, totally impossible? Because Mars doesn't have any geological activity on it. Exactly. Where's the energy coming from? A the normal, same thing they created the plume right. over the volcano that they said was, oh, these are just clouds. A normal, a normal earthquake on Earth lasts maybe a minute. You know, really, I, mean, I think the most extended earthquake was like 10 minutes on an incredibly geologically active planet. Mars is supposed to be dead. I mean, the last big earthquake they had was back on, in, in 2019. There's been nothing of note until August when on the same day, the 25th, they had two earthquakes, Marsquakes, of uh, 4.2. And then on the, on the 18th of September, they had another 4.2, which, by the way, on the Richter scale is about five or six times greater than a, um, a 3.7. But it went on for 90 minutes. Imagine the amount of energy required to keep a Marsquake going on a planet with no discernible geological activity. So what will cause it, Richard? Ah. Where else in the solar system have we encountered hours-long, quote, quakes? One other place. The moon when they exactly. fly Exactly. On Apollo 12, when they smashed the S-4B into the moon at about 5,000 miles an hour, they had left a seismometer uh, on, on Apollo 11. And it recorded packed shockwaves, the, the moonquake, for two hours. And they were baffled. And they came out with this cockamamie excuse, oh, dry rock, that kind of thing. No, no. I published decades ago that the extended super long moonquakes on the moon are from vibrating structures of the ancient glass arcologies, just like a roller coaster. All that lattice work, when the roller coaster goes by, when the cars goes by, the trestle shakes for like several minutes, like a half hour after the car has gone by. The same with uh, trains crossing trestles over, over, you know, water, that kind of thing. The energy is stored in the architecture, and then it leaks out over time as this thing vibrates like jello, and slowly the friction causes it to stop vibrating, but the vibration is transmitted through the ground as quaking. This 90-minute long Mars quake was the structures, John, your model, where there's ancient stuff all over, the moon. And this is definitive evidence, which NASA's claiming is a quake, as opposed to shaking of ancient arcologies on Mars of an extraordinary planetary scale. The question is, what set it off? Ah, start? Well, that you do have an energy input, you know, because there are real earthquakes on Mars. We know that because they've been there a thousand days. They've been publishing their little quakes, and you can see by the signatures that they're classic, 
you know, earth slippage, that kind of thing. So you do get some geological activity, but it's not like Earth. It's not like Io. And on this one, apparently the initial impetus was stored in the vibrating architecture and then released like time-release aspirin over 90 minutes in duration. Has anybody as a kid ever done the classic thing, you know, when a train is coming, put your put your um, uh, ear to the rail to hear it come and go? Okay, the yeah. two of us have done that. You can test this. No, I've done it. Three of us, okay. So you can store energy in architecture from an outside source, and then it will bleed out over time as a degraded signal. That's what I think they were telling us. And again, in their Emily Dickinson way, because they released no other specifics of the September 18th quake, other than A, it occurred, B, it occurred on the thousandth day, which makes me very suspicious. You know, like agency loves ritual. Why did this earthquake, Marsquake, whatever, occur on the thousandth day of insight setting down on Mars? That almost. Is, go ahead. Well, what was. Is Mars closer to the sun at that point by any chance? Because I know that the. I'd have to go look. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm remember, sorry. solar tides at, at Mars distance, the solar tides are so infinitesimal. Remember, tides go as the inverse cube of distance. So it isn't solar tides. It's not Phobos or Deimos. Mm-hmm. It would have to be. I'll hit it right on the head. Somebody triggered something as a celebration of of the InSight mission, which is to listen to the interior of Mars. So they did something so that the local architecture went bang, 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 bang for, for 90 minutes. It was a ritual punctuating whatever they're planning to unveil next. Hmm. Or, well, I, I... or. What really got me, and Ron and I have had this discussion, you want to tell them, Ron, you want me to? All right. What about the Martian ravers? No, no, Sounds no. like a punk rock project. No. 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 I find it very suspicious that the biggest Mars quake recorded by NASA occurs on Mars just a few hours before La Palma lets go for the first time in 30 years, and that someone is concealing the live seismic data from La Palma. Suppose La Palma's not natural. Suppose someone in this war we're going to talk about next Sunday, this upstairs, civilization-wide, breakaway war that we're immersed in that we don't know we're in the middle of. Suppose it was a weapon from Mars, an activated ancient technology, and what InSight discovered or detected with the seismometer was this torsion backwash, the kind of side effects of being close by to something that was activated on Mars to trigger the the events on Earth at La Palma. Mm, I like that. He likes the one that's really far out. That tells you who John (laughs) really is. (laughs) Anybody else? Yeah, well, he believes in Martians. What the heck? (laughs) Hell, he believes in reincarnation. Ah, uh, yes. Well, but see, John uh, has so what my, is required. So did be, some of my past lives. I don't. Yes. John is uh, part of, of the idea uh, of you've got to think outside the box. You have to imagine it before you can even see it. Kinti, you were going to say. Well, I was just going to say that my initial sense when you first told me that was 
well, maybe we aren't the only ones there on Mars even currently. And maybe it would go along with your model of they're setting it off, but maybe there's something going on there. I do not rule that out at all. It could I be think, scheduled. I think that's a, you mean like a robotic AI thing at certain certain times? But it's, sure. it's the thousandth day of insight. Come on. Who on Mars is synchronizing well, scheduled their scheduled more than the who on Mars is synchronizing their calendar to NASA? It's more likely well, it's who that, on Earth is synchronizing their calendar to Mars. But then you would have to know. And since we haven't landed a seismometer on Mars for, you know, since 1976, how would they have known the mm-hmm. schedule of this, whatever it is? If it's, no, I, I mean, this was something that was an event that happened on Mars, like right. we have here, the Day of the Dead or something. This was. Something that happened every year. Or... Why would it occur on the thousandth day of Insight's landing? Precisely. And why oh, would they make a big be... deal of it? Is that the thousandth Earth Day or the thousandth Sol? Th- thousandth Sol. Thousandth Mars Day. Okay. Say that really fast. Okay. Thousandth but... Mars Day. Well, well I think like, this what, 1,300 uh, Earth Days? Something like that? Give or, give or take. I can't remember what the... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But if this is a a technological event that is part of Mars history, I think it transcends the coincidence that happened on the thousand. I mean, it could be something that really this was this is a technological uh, happening. I mean, this is caused by their technology that is it's mostly dead and lost and forgotten, but there's still that technology is still sort of somewhat in place. I'm trying to remember the remote viewer that I talked to about this at SRI, um, and I'm blanking on, on their roster of remote viewers. Mm. Uh, Ingo Swan, Ingo Swan. That was oh, it. yes, yes. He, when he was Absolutely. asked to remote view at SRI, while we were down the hall looking at you know ruins from Viking, based on Mars, Sidonia, other things, they're up the hall doing remote viewing on Mars and completely independent. He comes out with a report. There's active machinery on Mars. Mm. Just like you. He saw it in operation now. Now, hyperdimensional technology, unlike conventional technology, meaning our stuff, lasts forever. Why? Because it's essentially superconducting. Look, Ma, no friction. So it keeps going and going and going like the Energizer Bunny. So it's conceivable that even after tens or hundreds of thousands of years, there could be some stuff running, other stuff that you could turn on. And I'm thinking the breakaways, since they've had 70 years to look around out there, they found all kinds of cool stuff they can turn on and use. And one of them was a projector, a torsion field projector on Mars that they used to ignite La Palma. Why? Because it's one hell of a way to threaten the most powerful country in the world. And it goes along with the Tic Tacs, the weird, you know, demonstrations over the fleets, you know, battle groups, aircraft carrier battle. In other words, it's what you would do if you're trying to get the enemy to quit without invading, without doing overt military stuff. You threaten. A hundred million people are going to die if La Palma slides into the ocean. You trigger it and you can also stop it by reversing the polarity and extracting the energy as opposed to putting in the energy. And we're going to talk about this in more detail next Sunday night. 
when I have Daniel, Daniel um, uh, Sheehan and Barbara Honiger, and there may be one other surprise guest to talk about, did we take a radical left-hand turn with the Kennedy assassination, and we're in a different timeline where none of this is supposed to be unfolding the way it is tonight? In other words, I think it was you, Ron, that said disclosure should have happened in the 1950s, and it didn't. Oh, I'm a big believer in I'm. Yeah, we slip timelines. I'm yeah, a big believer yeah. in that. Well, that's what we're going to talk about in great detail next Sunday night, following part three Richard. of our ruins in the solar system on Saturday. Yes, who's who was that? Oh, that was me. I just wanted to ask you a question relative to that. Uh, what you were just saying. Uh, remember in the, uh, speaking of movies, remembering in Total Recall at the end when they start up those machines yep. under the um, uh, under the mountain there, uh, could something like that conceivably, uh, assuming something like that actually happened, with or without a Schwarzenegger? Uh, the, uh, <laughs> well, remember, could, remember could, I, I had a could, source at Fox, you know, 20th Century Fox that did this. They told me they stole that plot directly from the Monuments of Mars, my book. That was the wow. DNM. That was there the DNM pyramid. Oh, it definitely was the DNM pyramid. <laughs> they dro- drove past it on a train, as I remember. Yes. Uh, the, uh, well, let us yeah. go back. We don't have a lot of time, so I, I, I want to go back to Keith. No, I just wanted to, if, if, well, I just wanted to know if, if that, a mach- activating a machine like that could conceivably be cause of the physics. which take exactly which takes us back on Mars. which takes us back to Keith Keith what did you say a few moments ago yeah. uh, which one was that the one about the volcanoes oh yeah if you're using energy to reignite the volcanoes then why would you do that well because you want to create an earth-like atmosphere okay and that's where the plume was coming up and the energy that then we're picking up with insight as a, as a random torsion field vibration is an offshoot of the same mechanism used to ignite the volcanoes to replenish Mars' atmosphere because somebody is planning on moving big time. There's these long pauses. Appreciate coming off, bro. A little spanner in the work. Absolutely. It's just rounding off from where, where we started from at the beginning. Um, you, need, on, on, you, you need to get closer to your mic. You're echoing oh, too much. Sorry, just rounding off from where we started at the beginning. You asked the question, are we ready? So um, you heard of the Great Reset? Yes. So if, if we already have awareness of uh, a technology which doesn't need uh, carbon sources, um, the world kind of has to be draw, drawn in with the slow drip feed to, hey, there's something else out there. So, you, you know, if you've got a power source that doesn't require uh, general electric, electrical production or uh, use of coal, then you're going to have to kind of revamp or crash the old economic system because it's not going to work when you bring in free energy, right? Well, there are ways to make the transition. It's all in how you manage it. Mm. But it would have to be done slowly, right? Exactly. And scale. You'd have to do it on a scale where people get, oh, this is possible, but we can't make it big enough yet. And then you get the next step and the next step, and people are kind of brought – it's called in the intelligence community the soak time, S-O-A-K, like soaking dirty clothes. It it takes a while for things to reorient. 
people's perceptions. That's what Brookings recommended. They recommended a decades-long program of education in film, television, movies, every possible medium to get people used to the idea that we're not alone. Well, we've had decades of soak time with Star Wars, Star Trek, you know, the Marvel movies, um, Alien Invasions, Independence Day, all of it. So that when you, when you present people with the reality, the idea was that most would say, oh, I saw that on television two nights ago. You know, what's, what's, uh, uh, what's her name doing? Sure. Yeah. Oh, don't forget, uh, don't forget Harry and Megan. Yes, got to keep up on those. Yeah. I was thinking of um, the other folks, the Kardashians. Oh, oh the Kardashians. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay, we've got yeah, five I, minutes. That was five minutes yeah. um, as a prelude to next Saturday. Uh, let's start with Kinthea. Thoughts on what we've talked about and seen so far. I was blown away by Ron's stuff, uh, especially the ones that I pointed out. That was fantastic. Uh, we keep seeing more and more stuff that just jumps out. Well, now we know why the why the Chinese landed where they landed, and why well, they, yeah, they uh, and why they carried a ground penetrating radar on their little rover, just like Perseverance has a ground penetrating radar on its rover, and we have not heard nothing from NASA about its ground-penetrating radar, have we? Nothing. Nope. Or the, nor the Chinese. Yep. And didn't they drill a hole a little while back in, in the ground, and the hole is hollow? I mean, there's I a see. hole. They, they went to... Um, yeah, they drilled, two holes in a, they drilled two holes in a flat rock that they took pictures of first. And if you look at the pictures, it looks like the rock is hollow. Yes, I got the same impression. So they, they drilled. So they drilled that. through a shell of something that had volume, but it's not rock. In other right. words, an ancient piece of machinery, John, that on the surface looks like eroded rock, and when you penetrate the shell with a good drill, you find the stuff underneath is not rock at all. Right. I rest my case. I have one thing to throw in that's uh, non sequitur for everything else. I'll just say that and shut up. You got two Picture minutes of the. Okay, that, well, I only need seconds. The, uh, the picture that's right at the head of things on your listings, the, um, that picture I found of the airport in La Palma and the lava. Right. Support, uh, that was taken by a local and uploaded somewhere there, and I wanted to put his name in there. But when I went back looking for the picture, it had already, realizing that I'd forgotten to grab the tag because it wasn't just from a news feed. Right. Uh, I had lost it. So if anybody that heard this show knows who the fellow was that took that picture, you know, he deserves credit because it's a fantastic picture and he was standing like a block away from the lava flow. So you know, he I imagine I imagine he was pretty warm. <laughs> okay, guys, yeah, we we we're, 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 we're uh, down we're right. down we're down to less than a minute and we will definitely get to my stuff which is kind of cool next week and we may have new data on La Palma, hopefully Good data, not bad data. And let's see, what other loose threads will we have to tie up? Oh, let's see. Musk getting through the FAA uh, regulations on environment. And what else? Well, obviously, all kinds of things are going to happen. So until next week, uh, one week from tonight, when we do part three of how will 
commercial discovery and publication of ancient ruins in the solar system change rock hunter or is it tab hunter or is it all of humanity um i guess that's going to be a good night the first night in many many times it actually ended on time so until next week remember third star on the left straight until morning good night everyone and keep watching La Palma. <laughs>